106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Think about this. In just four months, the U.S. turned into an obedient socialist country. The government tells us which events are acceptable and unacceptable to attend. But violent-based protests, those are safe. But attending functions such as church, weddings, funerals, and other family-based events, those aren't safe. And most of the country bought this without question. My church right down the street, the church is closed right now and the pastor is doing his sermons from home. But every Saturday, the parking lot is filled with people. There is a farmer's market there every Saturday in the parking lot. It just doesn't make sense. It's not okay. Why do me and my family support Trump? There's actually a lot of reasons. One of them is because we immigrated to America, obviously looking for a better life for that American dream. And Trump is keeping America the American dream that a lot of us immigrants come looking for. Of course, coming to another country, we're going to obey and respect all of the laws, which are things that our Mexican government doesn't have, which is why a lot of our people just get used to getting away with a lot of shit, which is why it's so important to document everybody that comes in. Because if Mexico doesn't want their own criminals, why do we want them here in America just to turn this place into the shithole that Mexico is? I'm sorry, but I love Mexico. It's a beautiful country. It's, I love my culture and my people, but I hate the fucking government. Me too. Where are you at? I seem to remember when there were allegations for a Supreme Court justice that were more than 30 years old with no specific date of one person being sexually assaulted. You packed the Capitol protested and rioted. You had Alyssa Milano in tears on social media talking about how awful it was that somebody who may have sexually assaulted somebody 30 years ago might be part of the government. However, now you have four or five different women saying that they've been sexually assaulted by the New York governor in the last year. And you guys are nowhere to be found. You guys should speak up soon because we're almost getting the impression that you actually don't care about women and it was just politically motivated. You wouldn't want us to think that now, would you? Good evening, this is Lou Benninger. Hope you're doing good tonight. This is uh, March 25th. Uh, we're talking about a podcast here we're going to do here for the next two hours or so that uh, we'll play on beginning on March 27th. But we get it going early, and then uh, the techies, Tanner Martis down in Texas, clean this thing up and get it on the uh, the web, and then we move it around, put it over on Facebook for you. So this is the 104th podcast for uh, No Hostages Radio, and we're happy you got here, no matter whether you did it by mistake or you're just trying this for the first time. Uh, <clears throat> the way we do this is six 20-minute segments broken up by a few minutes of clips 
that I handpick to uh, not just to fill time, but to communicate. The idea of this podcast started uh, 104 weeks ago was to inform people and to share my opinion. That's all it is, is my opinion. One thing I learned about uh, learned many years ago was somebody or everybody's going to be influenced by somebody, and I decided that if we all don't have a little influence, we're going to end up with somebody else's ideas running this country, and that's what's happening right now. And so instead of just uh, giving up the fight, uh, I'm engaged in the fight uh, along with many others. And part of that engagement is simply giving information from my point of view that may counteract what you already know or don't even know about, might give information that is new to you, or counteract information that that are lies that are being uh, propagated by the government and other people that uh, have interests that are nefarious and uh, need to be exposed and uh, defeated. So uh, thank you for listening. And as you know, there's thousands and thousands of podcasts, many that I think are uh, more fascinating than what I do. But I'm doing this. I started out with a a live radio show on Saturdays in our local area here in Yuba County, which is one of the 58 counties of California. And it's up in the north. If you're new to this, maybe you're listening from another state. We're uh, really, we're two states in one. Some people argue three states in one. North, North California, Northern California is very, very different from South California, Southern. And uh, usually Southern California is, is where all the tourists end up uh, because of a lot of the uh, beautiful uh, sights and, and uh, weather down there and a lot of the attractions, people attractions, Hollywood, Disneyland, all that kind of stuff. Uh, certainly, we don't dislike Southern California. Uh, I just don't want to be them, and so I, I'm not. Uh, I've advocated for years uh, of going to uh, a two-state system where we have another state here. Many states have broken off from other states. That's how we got some of our 50 states. They, they at one time they were one, and then they split off to two. So, uh, so that's possible. And the reason you do that isn't because you hate the other people. That's that's not the reason. The reason is that the state does not reflect the uh, pr- the perspective and lifestyle and desires of the population that lives within. So when you have two large groups of people that have different views on life, the way to get at that is to uh, have two states. And then the representatives of that uh, second or newest state can then reflect the views and perspectives and values of that group of people um, in the local state house as well as in the United States Congress. So that's how things like we got uh, West Virginia and then West Virginia out of Virginia. And there's a number of states. I won't take time to go through it, but uh, Northern California is a very different place. And people that move up here from the south will say, wow, this is different. This is totally different up here. And uh, so for for some, it's a difference difference that they don't like. Just like there's a reason why people live in a certain state and move from another state, because they think, oh, this, I like the lifestyle, I like the weather, I like my health better here, etc. So um, you can reach me a number of ways. Uh, you can reach me at Lou L O U at NoHostagesRadio dot com. 
So since you listened, just heard me say NoHostagesRadio.com, it uh, indicates that we do have a website, NoHostagesRadio.com, where these podcasts also sit, as well as articles that I write. And so you can go over there and grab a lot of stuff or, or you know, nose around. Obviously, you, you may have uh, come across this on your normal podcast source or somebody says, oh, just, uh, you know, Google No Hostages Radio and you'll end up off a podcast. That's true as well because we're on the various podcast sources. So you can go two ways. The third way that we just developed, because I used to write for the Territorial Dispatch, which is a weekly paper in Northern California and a few of the counties up here, uh, but I no longer have my articles in the Territorial Dispatch. I used to do two a week. So now one of my friends uh, set up uh, a Facebook page called Live with Lou. Uh, I know some of you aren't on Facebook. It's okay. Just take a deep breath. It's all right. Uh, I'm just trying to, when I left the Territorial Dispatch, no one really knew where I went. Pe- went. People called the office over there and said, did that guy die? Or well, what happened to him? So I'm trying to get a group of people together that want to be involved in these articles. <clears throat> They're activist articles that I'm writing. And if we have to move off Facebook, if something happens there, as has happened for many other people, we'll move to another platform. But if you don't, if people don't know where you are, they don't know where you went. Um, so uh, that's the logic there. So uh, we're into about six weeks of being over on Facebook at called Live with Lou, L-I-V-E with Lou. And you can go there and you can choose to follow us or join us or whatever the deal is. And then when you when we post something there, you get a little heads up. We're not posting nonsense there. We're posting really important issues there, which are podcast, the podcasts and articles about what's going on. Now, even though we write some of the articles about Northern California in our local city and county, it's really about activism. And the way the Founding Fathers designed this country is they wanted a country of uh, citizen activists. They didn't believe, number one, that the country would survive in keeping the type of freedoms and liberties and capitalism that we enjoy if, pe- if citizens didn't uh, stay engaged with the government. Now, it doesn't mean you have to run for office, but it might mean that. But it means particularly that people know what is going on and— and uh, what kind of people we have in office, and they, so we could eliminate crooks, right? Uh, so th- that was a, a main thrust. The second thrust of the Founding Fathers' concern about the beginning of this country was they believed it was going to be necessary to have people that were people of virtue. And virtue just simply means doing the right thing. And and they believe the right thing was based in the Bible. So you, people might say, if I just left out that second part, uh, if uh, they may say, well, you know, uh, uh, the right thing is in the eye of, eye of the beholder. In other words, what you think is right is different than what I think is right. Uh, so I would then say to you, <clears throat> if we're reflecting on what the founding fathers believed and followed, they believed a number of philosophies that led into biblical Judeo-Christian philosophy, and they based their virtue on the virtue of, the, of what was taught about what, if you're talking about character, what would a person of character look like from a biblical point of view? And they believe that, that there's no way that uh, people 
uh, that the, the country would fare well under our type of a government, which is not a dictatorship, right? A dictatorship will clamp down or communist government will clamp down and control people. Uh, so a, a very free re- a republic like we're talking about needs people that are self-disciplined and based upon virtue. So if they, there's not enough police, law enforcement at any level to manage and control society and allow them there to be freedom. If you want a police state, that is not a free state. That uh, a police state, when I go to Vietnam, people say, oh, aren't you fr- in China or Laos, communist states? Aren't you re- afraid over there? I said, not at all. Nobody is fussing around with you at night. They will get shot by the police, right? They're the only people that have weapons, and uh, there is nobody messing with you in the middle of the night. You can walk around the streets or whatever, and I've never had anybody. I have more trouble just south of us. Of all the countries, I've been in many, many countries now all over the world. I have more, more problems in Mexico. I love Mexico. In fact, I considered moving down there in 1987. I love the Mexican people uh, down there. I loved it. I, I did a project, construction project down there, was down there for over, uh, on and off for over a year. I loved it. But it, it is uh, totally out of hand. People are not self-disciplined. They, they do not base their lives on virtue. Uh, some do. But uh, we have criminality is out of control down there. And so, um, so our, our government... Uh, our founding fathers believed that the people need a pe- be, to be a people of virtue and to pe- be a people of activism. They needed to stay active because they believed that government essentially was evil. And that's why they, f- they felt if we could get along without it, we'd do, do away with all government. But they said, that's impossible. We have to have some government, but let's keep it very small because it gets ahead. Of, it gets uh, it's. Um, it loses its head and loses its mind and wants to take over everything, which is what we're experiencing today. So I, I, uh, though that's what this program is all about is to get the word out and to bring out current things and philosophical things and activities that are going on right now. We need to jump on. So I think COVID has scared the hell out of people, not the illness, but the government. And so, uh, we're going to be talking about that. So I gave you Lou at NoHostagesRadio.com. That's a way to get a hold of me. You can also text me or dial me up at 530-713-1838. I'm on the left coast. Think about that if you want to actually try to get me live. I'm, I'm over here on my time zone, 530-713-1838. Uh, so, yeah, you can reach me. Normally I answer the phone live if I'm not in a meeting, which I'm in a meeting right now recording this. Uh, so there's times if you, I'm not screening calls, I'm just uh, busy. So I will, I do call everybody back. I even call haters back. So no problem. You, so you can email me at that uh, email address. You can send me, uh, your ideas. Uh, thank you to all of you who have been sending in, uh, uh, information for me. You know, a lot of these talk show hosts, I think have staff, staff folks that help them gather information and get them set up to do their show every day. I just do it once a week and I'll have a lot of volunteers who are longtime friends of mine that send me items said, Hey, look at this, look at that, look at the other thing. And, uh, I sure appreciate that. And all the input is, uh, is welcome positive or negative uh, okay let's see it seems like i'm leaving something else out but i'm just i'll i'll clean it up as I, it comes you know 
at my age, when you're almost 100 years old, things just come and go. You just have to grab onto them, put some weight on them, hold it in the atmosphere there for a minute. Uh, okay. So people have asked me if I there's KMYC Radio, which is a local radio station that sold. I I quit uh, speaking out there. I quit my Saturday show. Then it sold, and then the gentleman died. Or sorry, the gentleman died that owned it. Then it sold. Then it got burned down, and uh, so now it's being rebuilt and it's back on the air. And people said, "Hey, are you going to be back on the air?" I don't know is the answer to that. So you don't have to keep asking me that. I don't know. I, I'm open to it to do both the podcast and the radio show, but it would take uh, it has to be the right time of day. And it depends on the cost that I'm, it, they actually charge me to be on the air. So uh, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just telling you, I'm just t- being real factual with you. And uh, so that's possible, but, uh, and it, it's b- bigger and better KMYC. It's 14, 10 uh, AM. It's bigger and better. I, I've heard that you can hear it all, all the way across the Valley right now. And uh, which congratulations to uh, a local businessman named Ernie Friesen for resurrecting that radio station. It's an important station for our local area. It's been here. It's I think it's the oldest station in the area. So, okay, I hope you guys are doing good. Uh, uh, there's been some real breakthroughs. I don't know what it's like uh, because I'm just not aware of everything all around me. Because uh, some of you are listening from like uh, up in Washington, the state of Washington, Missouri, uh, Texas, Arizona, Nevada. And uh, so I don't know what's going on politically with you. We're, what we're doing here in Yuba Sutter counties, we have kind of a twin cities separated by a river. Our two county seats really just butt right up against one another. So it's really one community, two counties covering over 1,200 square miles. So uh, I don't know what's going on, but what's going on here, we have two sheriff's departments, multiple police departments. Uh, we So we have two city councils. We have two boards of supervisors, and they've been closed for a year. They just, even though the, 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 the law, you know, government creates laws and then expects you to follow them, but they don't follow their own rules. So they just closed the meetings <coughs> and said, we're going to go on a technology called Zoom. And uh, and you can get us on Zoom. Well, the problem is a lot of people uh, don't have technology out in the rural areas around here or they don't know how to use it uh, or they're elderly and they they uh, are intimidated by it or they can't afford it or they don't have the Zoom equipment. Like when I never had Zoom, I couldn't get on successfully. People say, Lou, we want you to get on Zoom. I tried. I couldn't get on. So finally, I had to have my lady across the street, Rhonda, who is an I.T. specialist. And, and got all kinds of military awards for her service there for uh, wonderful IT innovations. So she came over and set me up on Zoom. It took that for me. Now, I, I'm a college dropout, uh, but honestly, I, I, I could not get my computer synced up properly with Zoom. Operator error, I, I confess. But what I'm saying is the reason that we needed open meetings is because Many people can't do the Zoom. Like I know Gary Bradford on the Board of Supervisors of Yuba County, he thinks Zoom is is wonderful. I think it's wonderful as well. I think the new technology, live streaming, uh, things people can tap in on the computer. <clears throat> Back in the day, they used to put it on television, a local television station. I think all those things are good to help inform the public. Wonderful. 
but they never should have closed the meetings. They never posed a health risk to people. It was all a fraud. It was all a hoax. I'm not saying the supervisors did it with wrong motives. I think they just followed the lead of people up above, which is not what I want a supervisor for. I want a supervisor locally that takes into consideration what the governor says, takes into consideration what maybe state uh, bureaucrats say, and then makes, does their own research, listens to the public and calls it on their own. Our counties, uh, I, I differ completely <clears throat> with the goofy uh, uh, county council. I'll just call him uh, County Council Coca-Cola because I can't pronounce his name. I can't remember his name. It's, on, uh, it's an Italian name starting with a C. I'm just going to call him Coca-Cola, and you can just remember him that way. That guy is not in the interest of the public. He's interested in li- eliminating risk from government. Our government was designed to serve the public not us serving the wishes of the government. That's it's just that's how it is. If he missed that in college, if he missed that in law school, bad on him. Just fire his rear end. We can find another attorney that would like that cush job. So the fact is that we needed to have independent supervisors look at all the evidence before they went and shut down thousands of Family businesses, you notice they didn't shut down any big business. Why is that? Because the government told them not to. Is anybody going to, is anybody uh, more healthy at the big box stores than they are the little markets? Not at all. Or the little businesses, not at all. It was all a fraud, a hoax, and our supervisors just went along to get along. And they collected money. And uh, for their different projects, and they screwed a th- thousands of businesses, and they're still screwed up today. The, my my friends, the Dragon Inn, right around the corner from me, are still closed today to indoor dining. It's totally nonsensical. So you have the supervisor saying, "Oh, we're all open, just open up," and then they have an employee called the health officer who's running around saying, "No, you don't, or I'll fire. I I will uh, have the sheriff arrest you and quarantine you." That is crazy. That is crazy leadership. It's bad leadership. Now, uh, so I think I gave you all the re- all the ways to connect with me. Uh, okay. So I want to, we got to, oh, we're down to 28 seconds here on our first clip. So I want to mention this. Uh, there's, let's see, what should I do here? Maybe I'm not even going to get into this because I can't, I can't explain it uh, in just 28 or 15 seconds or so. So we're going to, uh, we're going to land the plane here for for a few minutes. So you, if you want to walk away, you can, or you can just keep listening. I've got some good clips for you, and uh, I hope you enjoy them. So we'll be right back and be here for our second segment. Finally, new rule, you're not going to win the battle for the 21st century if you are a silly people. And Americans are a silly people. That's the classic phrase from Lawrence of Arabia when Lawrence tells his Bedouin allies that as long as they stay a bunch of squabbling tribes, they will remain a silly people. Well, we're the silly people now. Do you know who doesn't care that there's a stereotype of a Chinese man in a Dr. Seuss book? China. 
All 1.4 billion of them could give a crouching tiger flying fuck. <laughs> because they're not a silly people. If anything, they are as serious as a prison fight. Look, we all know China does bad stuff. They break promises about Hong Kong autonomy. They put Uyghurs in camps and punish dissent. And we don't want to be that. But it's got to be something between authoritarian government that tells everyone what to do and a representative government that can't do anything at all. <laughs> in two generations, China has built 500 entire cities from scratch moved the majority of their huge population from poverty to the middle class, and mostly cornered the market in 5G and pharmaceuticals. Oh, and they bought Africa. <laughs> their new Silk Road initiative is the biggest infrastructure project in history, indebting not just that continent, but large parts of Asia, Europe, and the Middle East to the people who built their roads, bridges, and ports. If you want to go anywhere in the world these days, you better have a yen for travel. <laughs> yeah, for travel. Oh, stop it. In China alone, they have 40,000 kilometers of high-speed rail. America has none. Our fastest train is the train that goes around the zoo. <laughs> California wanted to build high-speed rail connecting the entire state, but alas, could not. We're six billion in the hole just trying to finish the track connecting the vital hubs of Bakersfield and Merced. <laughs> one small step for nobody, one giant leap if you're a raisin. On a national level, we've been having infrastructure week every week since 2009, but we never do anything. Half the country is having a never-ending woke competition deciding whether Mr. Potato Head has a dick. <laughs> and the other half believes we have to stop the lizard people because they're eating babies. We are a silly people. Even when we all agree on something, like getting rid of the penny, no. The inertia, the ass covering, the graft, the lawyers, the cowardice. Nothing ever moves in this impacted colon of a country. We see a problem and we ignore it, lie about it, fight about it, endlessly litigate it, sunset closet, kick it down the road, and then write a bill where a half assed solution doesn't kick in for 10 years. China, <laughs> China sees a problem and they fix it, they build a dam. We debate what to rename it. <laughs> That's why their airports look like this, and ours look like this. <laughs> in San Francisco, it took 10 years just to get two bus lines through environmental review. The Big Dig, a tunnel in Boston, took 16 years, and don't get me started on my solar hookup. China once put up a 57-story skyscraper in 19 days. They demolished and rebuilt the Sanyuan Bridge in Beijing in 43 hours. We binge watch, they binge build. 
When COVID hit Wuhan, the city built a quarantine center with 4,000 rooms in 10 days, and they barely had to use it because they quickly arrested the spread of the disease. They were back to throwing raves in swimming pools. Well, we were stuck at home surfing the dark web for black market Charmin. <laughs> we're not losing to China. We lost. The returns just haven't all come in yet. They made robots that check a kid's temperature and got their asses back in school. Most of our kids are still pretending to take Zoom classes while they watch TikTok and their brain cells slowly commit ritual suicide. <laughs> As George Bush once said, is our children learning? There's a progressive trend now to sacrifice merit for equity. Colleges are chucking the SAT and ACT test, and in New York, Mayor de Blasio announced merit would no longer decide who gets into the schools for advanced learners, but rather a lottery system. You think China's doing that, letting political correctness get in the way of nurturing their best and brightest? You think Chinese colleges are offering courses in the philosophy of Star Trek, the sociology of Seinfeld, and surviving the coming zombie apocalypse. Those are real, and so is China, and they are eating our lunch. And believe me, in an hour, they'll, they'll be hungry again. Project Veritas has obtained never-before-seen photographs of what it actually looks like inside this facility. Shocking images showing people wrapped up in what looks like metal foil, laying on the ground, their faces covered. Why won't the administration be honest about this? Why won't they show you these images? I'm on the ground in Donna, Texas. If you want to take a look at this facility right here, just a month ago, Customs and Border Patrol agents completed the construction of that facility. It's a 165,000 square foot facility. And we have never seen images inside this facility before. They won't even allow the nonprofit lawyers who conduct the actual oversight of these immigration detention centers to go inside. We have a man who's telling us to leave. Where would the press? They told us it's private property, but you know what isn't private property? Airspace. We're going to fly this Cirrus right over the top of the detention center to get a better look. There's the facility right there. You can see it. There it is. Flying over the facility to give you a good vantage point. During a recent press conference, the press secretary was asked a question why they haven't released these images. Even you haven't released any images that you obviously could, could redact if you wanted to. Again, we, we remain committed to sharing with all of you uh, the, uh, the... She dodged the question, saying, quote... And we remain committed to transparency. I don't have an update for you on the timeline. Timeline, end quote. Well, Press Secretary of the White House, let Project Veritas do your job for you. Just last night, we have now obtained these photos inside this facility. Now, these photos are very, very grim. Project Veritas has also learned these photographs were taken in the last few days. There are eight pods with eight cells in each facility. At any given moment, there are an average of 3,000 people in custody inside this detention center. The pod has eight cells that are currently holding 600, that's 600 unaccompanied juvenile males aged 7 to 17. They are separated by age or physical size depending on the room. 50 of the individuals in, inside this facility were COVID positive. There have been multiple sexual assaults, normal assaults, and daily medical emergencies. We were born before the wind. 
Okay, I want to make a few announcements so some of you may start into this, get tired of listening to me and quit. <coughs> or say you're going to get back to it some of the time and not. So I want to give you some things that are coming up that are very important. Oh, I wanted to mention to you the reason I got to talking about all these boards of supervisors and city council that over the last four or five weeks, both city councils of Marysville and Yuba City and both boards of supervisors are open now to the public. Isn't that great? Congratulations. Uh, way to go. Uh, all those that I, I, I don't know there's unanimous in every case. I know the, the last one to vote was the board of supervisors from Yuba County, and they voted unanimously to open their meetings to the public. Uh, Andy Vasquez and Seth Fuhrer. Seth Fuhrer is a brand new supervisor uh, representing the Oliverst, uh, mainly the Oliverst Linda area. Andy Vasquez is out in the Linda area, and they were the outstanding spokespeople to get back to, to giving the people what they deserve, which is their rights, which is the right to a public meeting as as decisions are being made that are controlling their lives. So thank you so much, Yuba County, Sutter County Supervisors, Yuba County Supervisors, Marysville, and Yuba City City Council members. Way to go. Thank you very much. And um, so I want that's what I wanted to say to kick this off. Now, this Sunday, uh, that's the 28th of March, from 2 to 3.30, there's going to be uh, a recruiting meeting for the militia of the state of California. Now, this isn't just a, a band of renegades, band of renegades, nutcases, people that are methamphetamine users and, and like to shoot at each other. Th this is what was intended when it talks about a militia uh, in the Second Amendment of, of the United States Constitution. And it says our right to bear arms should not be invalidated or violated. They use the word in there called infringed upon. So uh, I know some of the words are a little different in the Constitution, like grow up, expand your consciousness, and learn what they mean. You just have to get look it up. So it talks about uh, having a standing militia. It does That's not referring to the police. Uh, it is not referring to the military. Uh, the military and the police are actually a part of government. And in, in, in the best of days, and what we hope for is that they will have huge, they, by the way, they have huge authority. Do they not? When you meet a police officer, maybe, you know, somebody and, and you play baseball on a softball team with him. His name's Mark or Susie. And you play baseball with them. You have a great time with them. But when you see them in uniform, and they put the red lights on you, they have a different lot level of authority. In fact, they could come and arrest you and put cuffs on you, even though they, they know you and your kids play together. And, and that is a level of authority that in our society we give to them. They voluntarily give away to them as long as they follow certain rules. But when the government becomes tyrannical, like it has in California, I, I have a lot of CHP officers that I consider salt-of-the-earth people, friends. When I went to the state capitol to protest with thousands of other people about closing down everything, there were a couple hundred CHP officers in riot gear, shields, clubs that arrested a bunch of people of us. And we weren't doing anything wrong. 
There wasn't any violence. People were singing patriotic songs, waving American flags. They did not want us on the Capitol grounds. The Capitol grounds is open. It's like a park area, for goodness sakes. And the, the arrest that they made was that we were, we were on uh, Capitol grounds, and we weren't six feet apart. And there were thousands of people there. But just months later, BLM could go down and trash all the businesses. Nobody got arrested. That's where the CHP became a force for tyrannical, a tyrannical force for the government. And, and they were simply o- obeying uh, orders from a tyrant. Now, that's, when, that's why the, the term militia does not mean the military or the police. When, it, when you have tyranny, usually the military, they either break off from the government or they support the government. So the militia was actually meant or is actually meant to be a standing force armed among the general public public to go against the government should the government ever get out of control and be begin to usurp the God-given rights, not the government-given rights, big G, God-given, not little g, government-given. Whenever that government usurps the rights, the God-given rights of the populace, then all the founding fathers— spoke at separate times saying this population then has a right for violent overthrow of the government. Now I'm not a violent person. I had the police chief of Marysville call me the other day. He said, I heard, I said something on my podcast that I was going to cause some violence at city hall. I said, I'm not really interested in violence. And, um, but I am interested in, uh, aggressively pursuing my rights, right? There's a difference there. So sometimes people uh, don't understand the English language, particularly those like when I graduated, we actually had a good education system in uh, Yuba County. Today, I would I th- consider it child abuse to put your kids in public schools today. I'm going to leave it there because I don't have time to do much here on that. But what we've uh, what's happening now is the state, the director of the state militia, and that is an, a militia that's overseeing a bunch of county militias that are taking the, their uh, responsibilities in the Constitution seriously. Now, the director is a veteran Marine, uh, and he is going to, I assume he's going to be there at the, uh, the location for the meeting. is the Church of Glad Tidings at 1179 Eager Road, uh, just north of Yuba City, right off Highway 99, Eager Road exit. So uh, that's going to be at 2 o'clock to 3.30 on Sunday, the 28th, that's this Sunday. It'll be the day after this, uh, this show starts getting up on the net. And, uh, so they're going to be discussing what it's going to look like to be, uh, become a recruit, a militia recruit and be a part of the local militia. That's going to, now they were here recently and spoke at a freedom coalition meeting. And now this is the actual, uh, getting, getting it there. The public is, is, uh, Welcome to come. Anybody wants to come, do a look-see. If you're if you're paranoid, you want to do a check it out, all nervous and everything, uh, you won't be required to to jump through any hoops there. Just come and check it out if you wish. So the other thing that's coming up is the Freedom Coalition. Uh, remember I told you a week, a week or two ago, uh, a website's been started locally here, but obviously it goes around the world, Freedom Co. Dot net, not dot com, not dot us, not not dot something something. Freedomco.net. Okay? Freedomco. That stands for Freedom Coalition. So there's a Freedom Coalition meeting. If you want to be 
become or learn how to become active, learn how to be an activist, learn how to stand up and give a three-minute talk in your board of supervisors or council meeting, learn how to check the agenda on your computer without leaving your office. You can check the upcoming agenda. Learn how to go speak to the issues. Learn, you know, a lot of times we whine about the supervisors, complain about the supervisors, but we never contact them. Well, on the freedomco.net site, you can look up, if you look up under... uh, uh, the coalition, you can look up your county and all the supervisors, all the city council people are listed there. You can email them right off that site. Okay. So freedom coalition meeting there, there was a small group that started the freedom coalition in Yuba Sutter County. And now they're, they're opening up to whoever wants to pop in for a, a bigger meeting. And they're, they're going to talk to you about what you'd like to get involved in, in the community and how they could help you. Right. So Freedom Coalition meeting, that's April 2nd. That's a Friday night, 7 to 8.30 at night, 7 at night to 8.30. They end promptly, and uh, so you shouldn't have trouble. Plus, it's Friday night, so hopefully you have the day off the next day. So that's Freedom Coalition. That, again, at Church of Glad Tidings, and uh, there'll be signs as you drive in on where to come, what building to go to. Usually, it's building 200, okay? Uh, So... that in, and there'll be nice signage and there'll probably be some refreshments there, coffee and stuff. So, uh, uh, just grab some dinner and come on out. Freedom Coalition meeting, uh, April 2nd, 7 to 8 30 at night. That's a Friday night. All right. So that covers that. And by the way, um, if, if you, you could go on the Freedom Co. website, freedomco.net, and look up your supervisor or city council member's email and click on it and, and or cut and paste it, however it works there, and send them a note and just say, hey, I heard you guys open the meetings. Thank you so much. Uh, we will pay attention. We will participate in those meetings. Thank you so much for, for, for making that decision to give us freedom again, okay? All right, so the other thing that's been going on <coughs> is there's been a recall going on of the governor, and right now the media has already positioned itself behind or in support of the governor and they're already saying there's no way the governor is going to be if 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 he actually is put on the recall ballot uh right now there's been uh i think between two two million one hundred thousand and two million two hundred thousand signatures that have been turned in to the uh the various election clerks around the state and so those have to be verified to make sure that they are really citizens, that they really are registered voters, that they uh, have uh, uh, written their name correctly and their address. And uh, and then if there's enough, if there's almost, uh, if we end up with about 1.5 million good signatures, then the governor will be, uh, there'll be a special election announced towards the end of the year, and he will, uh, there will be a question on the ballot saying, do you want to recall this governor or don't you? On the same ballot, on the very same ballot, there will be uh, uh, optional people that you can vote for at the same time. Uh, whether or not, for instance, if you vote to keep Gavin Newsom, you still would want to go down and pick. And in other words, he's not running against those people; he's running against his, his record. So you would you would vote for the governor, then you'd go down and in case the governor got recalled, who would you like instead of the governor if he if he did get recalled, whether or not you wanted him to to be or not. You understand that? There's a little confusion out there about that. And uh, so the the uh, right now there's already a political campaign started to smear the people that are behind the recall. 
and as if the governor's done a wonderful job and they're just people that this uh, are, are right wing wackos, militia types, uh, white supremacists. I, you're going to get all the accusations already. The news media is is, is uh, sounding the trumpet that uh, even if he gets uh, put on a recall ballot, he, people will never recall this governor. And so uh, I just noticed an article came through today. Uh, actually it was up tomorrow or yesterday, but it came, I noticed it today and, uh, it's, uh, it talks about, uh, that there are high level sources in the government saying that governor Newsom has had, uh, is an, in another romantic, uh, extramarital affair, uh, with one of his close staffers. Now this happened, uh, when he was mayor and, uh, he, he was having a relationship with his chief of staff's wife. Uh, her name was Ruby Rippy Gibney, and uh, that was in uh, 2018. He had a chief of staff, a fellow, uh, who he claimed was his very good friend. And while while he was being a very good friend to the chief of staff, he was having sex with his wife, Ruby Rippy Gibney, uh, who was his appointment secretary. And so, uh, obviously that blew everything up and, and, uh, but he survived it because he has a lot of money connections and, uh, people, uh, are not as insistent on, on morality and, uh, fidelity or being faithful to your partner as they were 30 years ago or so. So he survived that. Now the word is that he has, uh, of people that are in the know in his own cat, his, his own, uh, uh, close circle of political supporters. Uh, they say he's having a relationship that I don't know the name of the person. It's not named here, but um, the person that he's married to now is Jennifer Seibel, S-I-E-B-E-L, Newsom, and they have four children together. <clears throat> I don't say these things to uh, to be happy about this or to be excited or, oh, we're going to get him now. I think it's a uh, very sad on both occasions that relationships are damaged, uh, destroyed maybe, uh, because of uh, the inability for someone, as I began talking about our founding fathers, felt that if we couldn't control ourselves, uh, there's, there's not enough police and uh, there's not enough controllers in our, in our society to hold us all together and still have freedom. So when you give people a lot of freedom, they have freedom to err or freedom to do right. And so uh, it says here just six days ago, Newsom made wholesale changes to his communication staff ahead of the recall. Among other moves, Newsom expanded Deputy Chief Staff Lindsey Cobia's role to help uh, guide communications. Uh, there's a number of things going on. Said the demands after Newsom uh, came after Newsom, uh, like they, there's been demands from the the uh, the news people saying we don't have good we don't have good enough access to you. So that all started in November 2020 uh, when he was caught after telling everybody they needed to even go into a restaurant wearing a mask and just move the mask off their mouth so they could put a bite of food in. And uh, or if they wanted to take a drink, pull the mask down. In fact, I had a friend that got thrown off Southwest Air because he pulled the mask down to take a drink, and they didn't like they they didn't like that he was leaving it down too long, so they just threw him off the airplane. Airplane. 
uh, before it, it it was taking off. So uh, so uh, in the midst of all this, after doing all these egregious rules that were a, a total unscientific manipulative hoax. He ends up at the French Laundry, which I'd never heard of it, actually. I'm just not in. I'm, I'm not up on all the fancy places to eat. Just, you know, a taco and a burrito do me fine at the local Antonio's. Uh, but he went to the French Laundry where they tell me that a, a plate of food or a dinner, multi-course dinner, will cost you, cost you three or $400. I've never actually experienced that. I can't imagine that the f- taste of the food would make me feel any better about dropping that kind of money, but that's because I don't have a lot of money. But the fact is they went over and there were over 20 people there in that dinner, all sitting shoulder to shoulder and uh, having a fine time, right? And a lot of medical people, medical lobbyists, you'd think the medical people would be extra sensitive. And I've noticed my medical friends are not extra sensitive to COVID. They don't buy it. They don't buy it at all. And the only reason not saying something about it is they think it's their medical ethics to not criticize a fellow doctor. So they were all sitting there without masks and they spent the whole evening together. And when the media called him on it, uh, he made some excuses and apologized to everybody. He was all contrite and everything and just said, I should, if I had it to do over again, I would have stayed home with my wife and watched television and ate some carrots and taco sauce or something. Anyway, I like this. I, this is a meme I, I saw this week. It said, a man's rights rest in three boxes. Do you want to guess what boxes those are? A man's rights, or it could say a woman's rights, or all our rights. Human rights rest in three boxes. What do you think those are? The jury box, the ballot box, and the cartridge box. So when they start messing with you and asking asking you all personal questions when you want to buy a box of ammo, you know that our rights have been usurped or infringed upon. You with me? <clears throat> okay. I, I I love these memes. Okay, here's one on the vaccine. Some of my friends are going to get the vaccine. They know I, I'm against the vaccine. Sorry, I got a little tickle in my throat. I've been, I'm on the tail end of a cold, so I got a little hot tea here. You ever put butter in tea? I learned about that recently. I really like it. I put a big old hunk of butter in the hot tea. Oh, it's like so good and so smooth. And they told me, I noticed my brain doesn't work like it used to. So they, somebody, I read somewhere, I'll have to get the book. You'd, you'd love the book. I was reading this book on how to maximize everything in your life, you know, think better and all. So the guy, the guy said that the fat in, you know, that fat is, you know, how we have, you have these fat free diets and the anti-fat and fat's bad for you. This guy takes the opposite approach and said, actually, the connections between what are the, do you call them neurons or something in your brain? Those little things that the invisible part of you that thinks and and processes and all the processes and though they need fat in between. I said, I need to put some fat in between mine. I need to grease mine up. So I've been throwing some butter in my coffee and tea and it's mm, like it. And I, I don't know whether I'm thinking any better. Nobody said, hey, Lou, you sound sharper this week. I don't know. Usually when I'm rested, I'm sharper. Sometimes I'm doing these, these, these shows in the middle of the night, and I can tell I'm not so sharp. So tonight we're doing good because it's, uh, it's only like 8 o'clock. It's like 
it's like in the, my sweet spot right now. So I want to just say, uh, you remember Rod Sterling with the Twilight Zone? He says, imagine a vaccine so safe you have to be threatened to take it. For a disease so deadly, you have to be tested to know you even have it. I'll just say that over again. Rod Sterling could say, they, I don't know who wrote for those shows. They were so amazing. Imagine a vaccine so safe you have to be threatened to take it. For a disease so deadly, you have to be tested to know you have it. We'll be right back, and we'll carry on. Classic material, refugee camp. Yes, yes. Steve Marley, come on, huh? huh. White Clef, huh, huh. Phil Lagan, huh. Yes, yes, sir. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Climate Realism video series. Today, we're going to talk about what climate change is really about on a global scale. So every year we have these climate conferences. There was Paris, Copenhagen, Cancun, they're all over. And you get people like Greta Thunberg showing up yelling, how dare you? How dare you? And Leonardo DiCaprio showing up in a private jet, you know, mind you, telling us that climate change is an existential crisis. Obviously, you got Al Gore. How could you miss Al Gore? You gotta have Al Gore. But we're told that climate change is, you know, this huge existential crisis. It's going to doom humanity and they're going to solve it at these climate conferences. The thing is, these conferences aren't actually about the climate. What are they about? Wealth redistribution. Now, obviously, that's quite the claim, but don't take it from me. Take it from former United Nations climate official Otmar Edenhofer. Now, he said, one has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. This has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore. Edenhofer co-chaired the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's working group on mitigation of climate change from 2008 to 2015. That was a word salad. Now, in the same interview, he said, the climate summit in Cancun at the end of the month is not a climate conference, but one of the largest economic conferences since the Second World War. And to be clear, he is referring to the 2010 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Cancun. So I said that on a global scale, climate change is really about wealth redistribution. And the United Nations official that we just quoted was saying these are economic conferences. Well, it comes down to a system called emissions trading. Emissions trading is where a nation is given a certain amount of permits that allow them to admit a certain amount of certain pollutants, namely carbon dioxide. I put it in air quotes because carbon dioxide isn't dooming humanity, so I don't know if I'd call it a pollutant, but whatever. Now where this gets interesting is that countries can actually buy and sell permits from each other to allow more or less emissions. Now the way that you can actually use this system for wealth redistribution is that you can give an equal number of permits to say the United States and South Africa. Then, the United States, actually first let's check out how much each country emits. You can see that in 2018, the United States emitted 5.41 gigatons of carbon dioxide. South Africa emitted only 0.46 gigatons. So if you give an equal number of permits to the United States and South Africa, the United States will purchase the majority of South Africa's permits so they can continue with the status quo. South Africa never needed so many permits, so they'll, I mean, they're not emitting that much. So they'll just sell them away. It's just, it's just free money for them. And what you end up doing is you've created a system where you are, again, redistributing wealth from the United States to South Africa. Now, what's interesting is that when you do this, you're not actually just taking money from the United States. What you're doing is you're taking money from the U.S. taxpayers. So you're taking money from people like you and me. 
and then you're giving it to other third world nations. Now, that's a, you know, a very moral idea, I guess, if you think it's moral to take money from people and distribute it that, to other nations against their will. And again, you still allow countries to operate as they have been operating. They'll just buy permits from other nations so they can continue to emit as much as they want, and you're, again, just redistributing wealth. One example of an emissions trading system is the Kyoto Protocol. Now, the Kyoto Protocol is an international treaty aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It entered into force on February 16, 2005. Under the Kyoto Protocol, the emissions trading system was put into place, but there's other systems put into place in these international treaties which benefit the creators of these treaties and the elites within a nation and don't actually benefit the people. So let's get into that. One aspect of the Kyoto Protocol is that countries can earn additional emissions permits by investing in so-called green technologies. So if a nation spends their taxpayer money on companies that are promoting, you know, green technologies, then they can emit more carbon dioxide. So an example of these perverse incentives comes down to one of my favorite people, the leading voice of climate alarmism, actually probably the second leading voice of climate alarmism now that Greta Thunberg is still on the show. How dare you? Al Gore. For years, people have been saying that Al Gore has been getting rich off of climate change. And these people are right. But the question is, is he doing it in a way where he's investing in companies where people are just purchasing the goods because they create a good product, or is he investing in companies that are receiving money from the government? Now, I have a feeling you know where this video is going, but let's get into it. So Al Gore invested in a company called Silver Springs Network. In 2010, the United States government sent $560 million to Silver Springs Network as a means to subsidize supposedly green technologies. Now, Al Gore profited immensely from these subsidies. Now, what Al Gore says is that he's just acting as a businessman and he puts his money where his mouth is. He puts his money with green technologies. Well, that's not entirely true. So, you know, tangent time. Let's get into Al Gore. In 2013, Al Gore sold his TV network, Current TV, to Al Jazeera for $500 million. Now, that doesn't sound bad in and of itself, but what's interesting is the money behind Al Jazeera. Now, Al Jazeera is primarily funded by the nation Qatar. Qatar receives the majority of its money from fossil fuels, which it sells around the world. So essentially, Al Gore took his Current TV network, a leading progressive network, and then sold it to Al Jazeera, collected $100 million personally, of which all of which is fossil fuel money. And it's not like Al Jazeera just kept pushing out the current TV line of programming. If they did, Al Gore could at least say, yeah, it was a bit of an iffy deal, but we're still pushing out the progressive message on climate change. No. What Al Jazeera did is they completely scrapped current TV, used its distribution network to launch Al Jazeera America. So what happened here is that Al Gore started a progressive news network, sold it to Al Jazeera, which is funded by Qatar, received $100 million in fossil fuel money, and then Al Jazeera scrapped current TV, launched Al Jazeera America, a news network funded by fossil fuels, which is probably out there pushing a pro-fossil fuel message. Hypocritical much? The reason we went on that whole tangent is to talk about how countries can use taxpayer money to invest in supposedly green technologies to receive more permits to emit more. Now, the people that come up with these treaties are often the people that are invested in the companies and get to determine which companies they invest in, and they get, they get rich off of it. Al Gore is one of these people. Al Gore was the vice president when the Kyoto Protocol initially was come up with. So on a global scale, climate change is about wealth redistribution. Using emissions trading, we can create markets which allow rich nations, or allow, they force rich nations to send the taxpayer dollars to poorer nations. And there are a way that we can have the people who come up with these plans invest your taxpayer dollars in companies that makes them rich. When you really put it all together, it's a fairly insidious system. You 
know, I've been kind of revisiting the Kennedy family uh, over the last year or so, um, and particularly listening to some of the talks of uh, John Kennedy, the president, and realizing how much like Donald Trump he was and his view of the sinister side of uh, the people that want to control the world. And it was actually right after he gave a profound talk that he was coming after the people that are controlling the money systems and the the CIA and all that, that he was assassinated. And, you know, you always thought, you know, as a young person, I never could figure out why he was assassinated, right? That was kind of a mystery. The question always was, well, who did it? Was it just one guy like they arrested? Was it just one fellow or was there multiple? And there's all those, you know, debates, right? So anyway, then, there, you know, there's a number of younger Kennedys who have, some have done well from the three brothers, Ted, Robert, and John. And so some have, have, have kind of made, made a mess of their lives and others have done quite well. One of them that was kind of interesting but very liberal and he became an environmentalist lawyer was Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. And uh, actually, he looks quite a bit like his dad. When you listen to him, he's got a terrible problem with his larynx. And I, don't, I think it's some kind of a uh, disease or an illness or uh, debilitating situation. So if you watch him on YouTube, he's got a very broken voice. But after you listen to him for a while, it seems like it almost corrects itself. I don't know whether it's demonic or it's... Or it's uh, actually a physical problem but he got into uh, he was an environmental attorney and his story was that he was very interested in uh, water issues in in the environment in other words what was contributing to filthy water or contaminated water and how could we stop that and and filing lawsuits against the government filing lawsuits against corporations and stuff to make them be more environmentally responsible I'm not promoting Kennedy. I'm just telling you what his stick was. And uh, some of the th- some of his fights you may have agreed with, some not. I'm not, I'm, I'm just giving you a little warm up here to what I'm going to say. <coughs> so when all these vaccine things started, what happened was he was very concerned about mercury in water. And, you know, you've seen this thing about if you like fish, seafood, these certain sea, they'll say these certain seafoods have less mercury in them because there's a mer- certain amount of mercury in the ocean. And if, if you live in the ocean, you get some in you, which is a fish, right? So the, the question was, uh, so he started studying the mercury in the water. Well, then he realized that actually they were putting mercury in vaccines and giving it to kids. And the question is, What's causing all these childhood illnesses when you have hunt, like the, the, the existence of uh, autism in kids now is like hundreds of times fold than it was when I was a child. And so the question is, what's causing that, right? And his, some of the medical people are saying that it's, it's this uh, proliferation of vaccines. Uh, and, and do we really need them? It's not... People should never get any vaccine. It's just a proliferation. So I began to start watching some stuff by Bobby Kennedy in some of his talks around the world. I mean, he he started an organization called the Children's Health Defense Fund. Children's, it's not Children's Defense Fund. That's a different liberal wacko organization. 
This is Children's Health Defense Fund. And so they have been taking on people. He has been going head to head with people like Bill Gates and all and the Anthony Fauci's of the world and Deborah Burks's of the world and all these people that want to go around and just inoculate everybody like they inoculate cattle and sheep. <coughs> so he is I've, I've been uh, watching if you want to check his website out it's a very good website very informative uh it's called the children health org. i think if you go to it it is got it's chock full it's fresh you know some websites get stale they don't put new stuff it's like putting news items up all the time and it's about our health and about what's going on around the world he's a very bright guy so he said, uh, he said this, we are in the last battle. This is the apocalypse. Now, Bobby Kennedy does not claim to be, uh, he may be Catholic, like his people were Catholic, but, you know, that may, they, may mean, oh, that's kind of what our belief system is. We believe in God. He may or may not go to church. I don't know about his details about his religious faith. Obviously, he knows the Bible. So he says this, we are in the last battle. This is the apocalypse. We are fighting for the salvation of humanity. We all knew this was coming at some point. I never believed it would come in my lifetime, but here it is. We are the happy few, the band of brothers and sisters. We know what our job is in this life. We know that we're a part of this battle. We have to fight and we have to die with our boots on if necessary. Everybody here, I'm confident, knows what their duty is and is going to do that duty, and I'm going to be beside you when you do it. I know all of you are going to be beside me, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, I have people, some of my friends are adamant about they would never touch that vaccine. I've studied the vaccine. I told somebody I should get a, I think I've got a PhD in studying the COVID issue from the beginning, all the stuff I've been reading and watching and listening to. Whoa. But I really, uh, I'm looking at the people. If you want to study vaccines and study uh, the different chemicals they're putting in, and animal products and fetus aborted fetus products are putting in our, our bodies. It's unbelievable. It's it, like some of the top authorities are saying this is not what we normally would even call a vaccine. They are not putting dead COVID cells in your system to generate antibodies to future live COVID cells or COVID uh, cells. This is a DNA changer. And it's going to it's they're creating a. A phenomenon in your body that they it constantly is going to be generating uh, live activity in your immune system when it doesn't need to be. So you can read all about it at the Children's Health Defense Fund, uh, and you can uh, see see what you think. Make your own decision. I'm not telling you what to believe. Uh, I have a friend just talked to me. She's had a, a, a terrible time with cancer low immune system and even though she said right on the thing it says this the taking the vaccine is not necessarily going to stop the virus <clears throat> she took it anyway so you know something everybody makes choices in their life i've made plenty of bad choices in my life and uh and i'm not blaming anybody else for it except the guy sitting in this chair so uh, i'm i'm uh 
I'm owning it, as they say. Will you own it? I'm owning all my bad choices, and uh, I'm I'm just and I'm not going to shoot on people. I tell juvenile hall kids, tell people in jail. I said I am not going to shoot on you, and I'm and I don't want you to shoot on me. I may tell you what I my perspective if you ask for it, but I'm not going to tell you what you should do with your life. You need to figure that out on your own because I don't want to be responsible. Said, well, Lou told me if I if that Lou wouldn't have said that. No, 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 no. You figure it out. You got a brain. You know, back in the day when I graduated from Marysville High School, they taught you how to think. They taught you how to sort through stuff. They taught you how to read, how to study, how to do math, how how to uh, read books and sort out what the point of the book was to think. They taught you how to think, not what to think, how to think. And that made me a better person. I thank God for all the, the teachers that really sewed into my life from K all, all the way through 12. They weren't all... They weren't all top-notch, but, whoa, most of them were very good. And I thought of, I thought of, I felt that way back then. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you're old, you're old fart, now you say all these nostalgic things. No, 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 no. I, I, I thought I had a good experience on the way through. I just didn't apply myself very hard. I want to talk about the flag at half-mast or half-staff. So I was talking to a friend of mine today, uh, this week, and she was talking about couldn't figure out what why the the flags were at half staff? You ever wonder that you drive around? Hey, hey, hey! What the? How come the flags down this half staff or half mast? And uh, so she was, she was over and asked one of the guys at Winco. They have a big old flag out there, and and so uh, he, I don't know whether they. He, I want to talk one of the bosses. Tell us what, what the flags at half mast for. So I don't know whether he actually came up with the answer because uh, corporate just tells them what to do, right? So she said, well, is it because that Joe Biden's president? And the guy, the guy, I thought this is so awesome, made my whole week. The guy just started cracking up, said, can I tell corporate that? The guy just thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. Well, honestly, I think, I wonder if, if that's the reason. It should be the reason. The whole country should be in mourning, right? So I, I'm going to just give you some of the reasons. Somebody said that the reason is because a bunch of people that are massage therapists and stuff, a lot of them happen to be Asians. It was because of that or because of the Boulder, Colorado shooting. But we didn't, we didn't used to just cause a bunch of people got shot. We didn't put, we didn't drop the flag every time somebody got killed. In fact, some of our heroes even got killed and uh, we didn't drop the flag for them. Our military people get killed all the time. We don't drop the flag for them. Right? So here, here's the, were the original rules on the half staff flag may 15th these are these are this is stuff you'll see may 15th peace officers memorial day half staff these are rules half staff from sunrise to sunset last monday in may like may 29th right for this year memorial day the flag should be displayed at half staff until noon September 11th. Do you remember September 11th, 2001? They they call it Patriot Day now. Maybe it was all, always Patriot Day. I don't know. Half staff from sunrise to sunset. That's for Patriot Day. Sunday, uh, usually of, of the week in which October 9th falls, is Fire Prevention Week. And we have the, the flag half staff from sunrise to sunset. And then December 7th, which is the to remember the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, um, 
that's called National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, half staff from sunrise to sunset. And then upon reliable information that the current or former president of the United States or the current vice president of the United States or the current or former chief justice of the Supreme Court or the current speaker of the House has died, then they would also lower the flag to half-mast. And then finally, upon presidential proclamation or a proclamation by your state's governor. So the leader of our particular jurisdiction, whether it's the United States or the state, Uh, they could proclaim a special lowering of the flag. But what's happening is a cheapening. This person I was talking to, we were discussing the cheapening of the lowering of the flag. In other words, hey, uh, what about if six people get killed in a car accident, right? Uh, A drunk, like I I was, we were out on a tip called trauma intervention when three generations of the Negretti, Negretti family were hit head-on by a drunk driver and killed grandpa, grandma, mom and dad, and two children, two infants. We didn't lower the flag for them. Why not? So um, anyway, uh, I won't spend the whole day on this, a whole night. Uh, It says, in addition to the flag code, Proclamation 3044, Section 5 states, the heads of the several departments and agencies of the federal government may direct that the flag of the United States be flown at half staff at buildings, grounds, naval vessels under the jurisdiction on occasions other than those specified herein, which they consider proper. Now, the question is, what is proper? And that suitable military honors be rendered as appropriate. The issue is, is are we becoming so politically uh, screwed up that we we just make up stuff and say, drop the flag, drop the flag. Pretty soon it means nothing. Right. All right. Uh, So then there's lengths of time and I won't spend all the time. I'll just say 30 days from the death of the president or a former president that the flag stays down halfway for 30 days and then 10 days for some of the other people, top people in the government, like vice president, chief justice, Supreme Court, et cetera. Uh, Anyway, I just thought you'd like to know that sometimes I think it's a question people ask. a lot. They think, Hey, what's up with the flag? I dropped the flag. It's um, unbelievable. Okay, uh, let's see where I want to go here. Uh, Let me jump. Oh, I I like this one. This is another meme. Yeah, because every time there's a mass shooting, right, they want to go take the guns away from all the people that that are actually obeying the laws. So there's a picture of a guy. Uh, pointing a gun right in your face. You're looking at the gun, down the barrel of the gun. And on the right, it says, I'm a criminal. I don't buy guns at stores. By by the way, let me tell you this story. <clears throat> well, let me just say it, and then I'll tell you the story because we're going to run out of time. I don't buy guns at stores, he says. I don't, buy, I don't care about your stupid gun laws. Background checks won't stop me. Keep focusing on the good people. That's exactly what I want. So I was at Juvenile Hall before COVID hit, and one when I was hanging out with the kids talking about all kinds of things, w- weird and wonderful. And uh, I was talking to we got talking about guns, and I said, I'm interested in buying a gun. And he said, really? I said, yeah, but I'm not going to buy one by a store because I want one off the grid. I don't want, I don't believe that our guns should be registered. They said, really? I was like talking their talk, right? And they said, what kind of gun do you want? They were going to get me one, right? They're sitting there in juvenile hall. They said, we can get you guns. Isn't, isn't that interesting? 
We have kids that are 13, 12, 13, 14, 15. We could go get you guns, Lou. Now, do you think they're following any of the rules that the liberals are going to, they think they're going to go down to uh, Hyman Chime and, and uh, at, at, at Union Lumber or go over here at, in the gun places, Shooter's Paradise or, uh, or Kittles out in Calusa? You think they're going to go over there and buy guns? Absolutely not. There's guns all over the place. People got trunk loads of guns, and they're for sale. They said, Lou, what kind of gun do you want? I said, I want a handgun. Oh, <laughs> we got in a big discussion at Juvenile Hall. They were going to get me a gun. And I said, I just want, I don't want one that's stolen, right? Or I, I don't want one that shot somebody else. I, I don't want to get in trouble and get arrested. I get arrested for having a, a noncompliant gun or permit, right? Like I... Like, for instance, if you're old enough and you had guns back in the day when you were a kid, those guns aren't registered, are they? When you bought guns, you just go down and buy a gun or you could buy a football, right? Or you can buy a shovel. Nobody kept track of what you were buying. Now today, everybody's got to have their gun registered. It's crazy. It's against the law. It, it should, it's against the Constitution. It is a law, but it's unlawful. Just like at one time, there was a law that you could actually own people in this country. Isn't that interesting? There was a law that said you, it's okay if you want to own people. <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable so anyway i have friends that uh let, let me just give you a firearms refresher course those who hammer their firearms into plows will plow for those who do not thomas jefferson said that those who hammer their firearms into plows will plow for those who do not john adams says those who trade liberty for security have neither. Those who trade liberty for security have neither. Free men do not ask permission to bear arms. I'm telling you, if you go over and get a concealed weapon permit, I know Wendell Anderson. I know Brandon Barnes of the shares. I respect them. I like them. But I do not agree with that. We have to go ask them to bear arms. Free men. We were declared. We were born free. And and government shall not put us back in shackles. Free men do not ask permission to bear arms. Next, an armed man is a citizen. An, un an unarmed man is a subject. A subject is somebody that serves under a, 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 a lord or a government or a tyrant. Only a government that is afraid of its citizens tries to control them. That's exactly China is deathly afraid of their citizens, China, because they put millions of them in concentration camps. There are at least 2 million Uyghurs. Those Uyghur people are uh, Muslim people. They put, there's millions of Falun Gong. The Falun Gong is just simply a spiritual pursuit. And, and they're Chinese people. They put millions of them away. They're harvesting their organs. They're putting Christians away. They fear all these people. Only a government that is afraid of its citizen tries to control them. Firearms control is not about firearms. It's about control. That's all it is, folks. Number seven, you only have the rights you are willing to fight for. That's why COVID has got some silver lining in the fight because there are people that are now standing up and learning about their government that have never done it before. COVID rules scared the hell out of people. A lot of people don't know what hit them, and they're just dumbfounded. But I'm telling you, a lot of people, it changed their life completely. COVID. Because they saw this is what it's like to live under communism. My friends in Vietnam that are living under communism, they're Christian friends. They said, Lou, we're praying for your country 
you're, you guys are becoming communists without even declaring it. You're becoming communists. I'm going to finish this list in just a minute, and we're going to take a break and be right back. After all the jets are in the boxes And the clowns have all gone to bed You can hear happiness staggering on down the street Footprints dressed in red Welcome back to the Climate Realism video series. Lately, we've been talking about the biggest hypocrites in climate change. Obviously, we started with John Kerry, who's gallivanting around the globe on private jets while telling us that we need to ramp up even past the Paris Climate Accords. Today, we're talking about Bill Gates. Now, Bill Gates is a global icon, obviously, for forming Microsoft, but lately he's been in the news for climate change. But the thing is, some liberals and some progressives aren't buying what he's selling, and neither am I. So here's what's interesting. The Nation, a very liberal magazine, which on its own website says it's a source of progressive news, has come out with an article titled Bill Gates, Climate Warrior and Super Emitter. Here's what they have to say. So what this article says is essentially that Bill Gates is all talk and no action when it comes to climate change. He may say things like we need to change what we're doing and we got to prevent a global catastrophe, but then his actions state that he doesn't seem to really care. Now here's some of the highlights. Bill Gates is the largest farmland owner in the United States. I actually didn't know that. That surprised me. He has 242,000 acres of land. Just for comparison's sake, that's bigger than the entire country of Singapore. Now, obviously, this agricultural land is a large source of carbon emissions, something that I don't think is a huge deal, but he does. Now, if it's such an issue, shouldn't he not own 242,000 acres of farmland? Or does it just not matter? Bill Gates owns a 66,000 square foot mansion outside of Seattle. Now I'm gonna say that the carbon footprint from this mansion is way larger than the average American's condo or apartment or house. So Bill Gates should maybe, you know, downsize a little bit if he cares that much about carbon emissions. To the surprise of no one, Bill Gates owns a private jet, the Bombardier BD-700 Global Express. And this behemoth of a jet burns through 486 gallons of jet fuel per hour of flight. Now what's interesting is that it's use. In 2019, a study was conducted that looked at some of the 10 biggest celebrities in terms of how much they fly on private jets. They looked at Oprah Winfrey, they looked at Jennifer Lopez, they looked at Bill Gates, and they found that Bill Gates was the number one flyer of these 10 celebrities. So he's out there flying a jet that, that consumes 486 gallons of jet fuel per hour of flight across the globe more than anyone. That doesn't really speak like you're that concerned about a climate catastrophe. In 2015, Bill Gates started a multi-billion dollar venture capital fund titled Breakthrough Energy, and he recruited a who's who's list of global billionaires, including Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, Michael Bloomberg, Jack Ma, Mukesh Ambani, and others. Now what's interesting is when you actually look at what this company or this venture capital fund is funding, I went into it a little bit and I found that they're funding a company called Biomilk, a company that's apparently interested in creating lab-grown breast milk. Now, I don't know what that has to do with climate change, but it's a little weird that this climate breakthrough company is, is focusing on breast milk. It's just strange. The Nation article actually got a hold of Bill Gates' foundation's tax filings, and here's what they found. In 2019, Bill Gates put millions of dollars in companies like Exxon, Chevron, and Japan Petroleum Exploration, 
and billions more in fossil fuel dependent industries like airlines, heavy machinery, and automobiles. So he's putting millions and billions of dollars in industries that apparently he states are some of the biggest emitters of carbon dioxide, yet he's putting massive amounts of money in them for personal financial growth. Now, I don't blame him. He should do what he wants to do with his money. And again, I don't think carbon dioxide emissions are the biggest problem in the world, but he does. So it's extremely hypocritical, the amount of money that he's putting in these companies while going around touting a book saying that climate change is some global crisis. Bill Gates will constantly make headlines for climate change. But I ask you, do you really think he's that concerned with it? If he's out here funding companies that are some of the biggest emitters of carbon dioxide, which again, I don't think is a huge issue, but he does, I think he's more concerned with his personal finances. So let's add Bill Gates to our list of some of the biggest climate hypocrites out there. John Kerry, you've been knocked down a notch. Bill Gates, you're number one. This is Andy Singer with Climate Realism. I hope you enjoyed this video. Catch you next time. Well, the White House defending their decision to let go of five staffers because of their past use of marijuana. The move coming despite this admission from the current vice president. Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like and I, and I inhaled. Did did I, inhale? did I did, did inhale. inhale. Okay. <laughs> now, Washington Examiner commentary writer Tiana Lowe calls the firings preposterous, and she joins us now. So, Tiana, I don't, I don't know the standard. So you work in the Biden administration. You admit to past marijuana use. You're out. But, but the vice president, we just heard, readily admitted to past marijuana use. I mean, it's as Tulsi Gabbard said when she destroyed her on the debate stage. Kamala Harris is laughing about how she was lighting up to Tupac and Snoop, which, if I have my timeline correct, roughly puts it while she was an assistant in the district attorney's office, you know, locking up nonviolent drug offenders or at least helping to do so. So the standard makes no sense. I mean, in D.C., marijuana's already been decriminalized. Biden says that he wants to legalize it or at least decriminalize it federally. If he's serious about this... Punish your number two, who's the one who bragged about smoking pot, not random staffers who just want to take home a good day's pay. Yeah, that that admission or that attempted admission of listening to rap music in your dorm that didn't line up with when she was in college showed that that was a complete farce. But this policy of firing people who have past marijuana use, that's interesting. What's behind it? Here's Jen Psaki. Here's what she had to say. She tweeted this. The White House has worked with security services to update the policies to ensure that past marijuana use wouldn't automatically disqualify staff from serving in the White House. Of the hundreds of people hired, only five people had started working at the White House and are no longer employed as a result of this policy. So what do you think is behind the policy? So the number one thing that they always want to ensure when they're clearing folks, you know, for their security clearances, especially in something uh, high security like the White House, I mean, the main thing and the number one piece of advice that all people applying for a security clearance is don't lie. If you've smoked pot, confess you've smoked pot because the num because they want to ensure that, that no one can be mm. leveraged or, you know, blackmailed in any way. So you have staffers who did not lie and they're being punished anyways. And I hope that the American people can wake up and see how broken our drug laws are to begin with. Marijuana is a schedule one drug drug alongside heroin and schedule four, which is considered much less risky or uh, dependent risk include tramadol and benzos, which are obviously highly addictive and highly destructive drugs, whereas, uh, based on my knowledge, marijuana has never actually killed anyone before. Yeah, wherever you stand or wherever you fall on whether or not someone should be punished for their past drug use, it is certainly being inconsistently applied within the Biden administration right now.
All right, we're back. I'm going to finish this list on on uh, firearms. Uh, I said you only have the rights that you're willing to fight for, and the other ones: no guns, K N O W, no peace, K N O W, no safety. Then it says no guns, N O, no peace, no safety, all N O's. You don't shoot to kill; you shoot to stay alive. Assault is a behavior. Not a not a device. I saw a picture the other day. It showed Cain killing his brother Abel, one of the the first murder recorded in the Bible. Cain killing his brother Abel. You can read all about it in Genesis. I'm not going to take time on it tonight because they tell a better story there. But it shows him a, a painting of this guy above his his brother. His brother's down on the ground facing up the the other brother. You're looking into his eyes as he's going to smash his head with a rock they're not confiscating rocks people this is about control you don't shoot to kill you shoot to stay alive assault is a behavior not a device okay i think the rest of them i'm gonna skip because there's other things to talk about that i'm more more focused on and i don't want to get in the ditch here i want to jump down and talk about <clears throat> people that uh let's see where am i here okay sorry for the delay here i should have done this at the break uh since i'm talking about guns uh the left is i'm understand all they don't i don't uh, watch a lot of television or anything. I don't have a television hooked up, but uh, I understand that the there's all kinds of people saying this is like a racist thing that all these Asian women were killed. And uh, you, you may not like Ann Coulter, but she wrote a great article in the town hall. It's in Town Hall magazine or online, you know, and the title of it is, oh, darn, the title is Asian Women Too Damn Hot, that's the title, and maybe the article's too hot for you to read, but uh, anyway, I'm having a decades of a time even finding it here, maybe it's too hot for me to even find she says, does anyone else find it odd that so many Asian activists reacted to the mass murder of mostly Asian women last week by talking about how smoking hot they were? I was at law school when I first noticed the phenomenon of liberal women pretending to be outraged as a cover for bragging. Average to ugly girls would work up a feigned indignation about how a guy had sexually harassed them that day then launch into a 20-minute retelling of some compliment they received. A man talked to me. I think he likes me. Let's see, how do I work this into a conversation for the rest of the week? But she said it's a peculiar reaction to a mass murder. Now, that a white supremacist mass shooter, check that, it turns out he was a radical Islamic Syrian refugee, has committed a different mass murder in Boulder, Colorado, uh, well, since, if that, since that happened, will we see hippies on TV denouncing the assumption that Birkenstock wearers are all sex gods? 
No, of course not. Only liberals would would think an, an appropriate response to an infamous crime is to talk about how sexually desirable they are. Liberalism makes everybody stupid. Thus, for days after the fatal shooting of six Asians and two whites at a mask sex spa, massage sex spa, uh, in Atlanta, Asian activists and professors blanketed the airways to demand that white men stop treating them like sex objects whom they fantasize about it. They want, and they covet newspapers will chalk a block. The first person accounts of Asian women being salivated over by white men. Christine Dixon modestly began her tale of oppression for the Washington Post, The Lily, called The Lily. She said, when I was 16, a boy I thought was my friend said, I can't figure you out. Asian girls are either smart or hot, but you're both. She's older and married now, but still cherishes this comment from high school, I guess. Amid her recitation of her compliments she received over the course of a lifetime, some stupid, some vulgar, some, I wager, completely fictional, Lawag Dixon remarked, it no longer surprises me, but it still hurts. Among the distressing compliments detailed by Dixon, she reports that she was often called exotic. I will not link to the scene in news radio where Beth explains the meaning of words like cute, beautiful, exotic. Anyway, she it's a great article. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but... What she ends up talking about is some of the other cases that were judged and uh, sorted out in the media that was were 100% wrong. So, um, so she says another Berkeley professor, Catherine Choi, uh, she does ethnic studies, obviously Asian, conveyed that the shooting echoes a long-running stereotype that Asian women are immoral and hypersexual. Ellen Wu a history professor at Indiana University confirmed that from the moment Asian women began to migrate to the U.S., they were targets of hypersexualization. Ellen Elaine Kim, professor emeritus of Asian American Studies at University of California, Berserkley, told the Associated Press that the Atlanta shooter probably had an addiction to fantasies about Asian women as sex objects. You know, it's amazing to me how these professors can just get into people's heads without even opening a door or anything. They just imagine themselves. I'm wondering if they're thinking these same things. So Ann Coulter says, hey, 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 hey. Anybody remember the Duke lacrosse rape hoax? Before the gang rape of a black stripper was exposed as a complete fraud, Though well after three white families, those are the white families of the white lacrosse players that were accused of raping this black stripper. Though well after the three black families or white families had their pockets emptied and their names dragged through the mud and they lost their ability to go to that school. An enormous amount of commentary centered on white men's lascivious interest in black women. So, of course, the gang rape had to be true the duke lacrosse case fed the stereotype that black women are hypersexual and readily available more than the white women so let's go for them the article quoted a number of black co-eds on how white guys just can't keep their hands off african-american ladies the young black women can almost can almost finish each other's stories they go to a party a concert a nightclub 
20-somethings of all colors are flirting and dancing, and then it happens. Quote, inevitably, a woman says, a white man asks her to dance erotically, which he watches while he watches, or he grabs her rear or asks for sex in graphic detail without bothering to ask her name. A black Duke co-ed, Audrey Christopher, complained to the Durham Indy, that's a, a newspaper, that at one of the quad parties, it was me and another black female friend, and these white guys immediately told us how they liked hanging out with black girls because white girls are sheltered and we're more free. Again, pres- professor of color, professors of color weighed in. Rebecca Hall, surprise, also berserkly, said of the Duke, remember Duke gang rape, total hoax, said of the Duke gang rape charges, a black woman is somebody who has excess sexuality. It's excess sexuality that white men are entitled to. Duke professor Mark Anthony Neal said the message that men get about black women in these uh, is these are women that are available that they have easy access to and their sole purpose is to serve their pleasure. She says, to the extent that their argument isn't simply that black women are hot, 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 but that white women feel entitled to pillage black bodies, or white men uh, want to pillage black bodies, that's not borne out by the data. Now, I always like this, right? As I'm reading here, you probably thought, yeah, 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 I think that's how it is. I think that's how it is. Here's the data. You want the data? Nobody's interested in data today. It's all BS out there. Whether you call, whether you look at the Tawana Brawley, look them up yourself. Look up the Tawana Brawley case. B-R-A-W-L-E-Y. Look up the Duke Lacrosse case. According to FBI crime statistics, listen to me now. According Approximately 15,000 to 30,000 white men are raped. You know what I'm going to say? White women are raped. I'm going to pick out an ethnic group. You want to you know what I'm going to say? Guess. According to the FBI crime statistics, they keep track, folks. Every time somebody's assaulted, we keep track of everything. Approximately 15,000 to 30,000 white women are raped by black men every year. <clears throat> while on average, zero black women, are you hear me now? Zero black women are raped by white men. Look it up your own self. Quit believing the lie. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so afraid to be accused of a racist. Hey, screw that. Grow up. Grow a pair. Be a human being. Be an adult. Stand up for something. Tell it like it is. Are you afraid to speak the facts? Would you be afraid to repeat this in a in a little? Uh, you go out to eat with some people. Oh my God, this white guys just raping Asian women and black women and everything. Why don't you give them the facts? Why? Because you're going to be the par- the person out at the party. Just pack your stuff and go home. Watch a movie. The department uses, you know, you say, Lou, it can't be zero. Let me let me explain it to you. There's a reason for they put zero. The department of the FBI uses zero to denote fewer than 10 victims. We're talking about 350 million people in the United States. <coughs> We're talking about tens and twenties and thirties and 40,000 of these type of 
crimes, right? Less than 10 victims. That's why they put zero. White men assaulting black women. But people just make up stuff. These are professors at some of the most, I don't say the the best universities like I used to. These are the most expensive universities in in the world. And they are full of shit is what they're full of. They don't know anything. They're just making up stuff. It's propaganda, people. They just make up some agenda in some scenario. It's totally wrong. She said, now, no, now, uh, nor, of course, was the rapacious white male theory supported by the facts, the very, the very case they were discussing. She said, we don't have a lot of women mass shooters, so it's hard to flip the script. But maybe in the future, whenever a white man is falsely accused of rape, like look up the word Steve, Stephen Pagones, P-A-G-O-N-E-S. He was a prosecutor for the attorney's office where Tawana Brawley, she was raped in this city. And they accused him of raping her, ruined his marriage, ruined his career. And she ended up years later getting a defam- winning a defamation suit against all these black charlatans like uh, Sharpton and all the rest of them. And now she's paying him to want to brawly. We're talking about 30 years ago. She's paying him for damaging his whole life. Stephen Pogones. How about the Duke lacrosse players? Their, their whole careers were ruined. They had to change schools. Totally shamed them. They did not do anything to that woman. A, a fraternity... The entire fraternity at the University of Virginia, I think, was shut down over that. Or the murder, the murders involving Darren Wilson, Jake Gardner, and Staten Island police officers. These are, Darren Wilson was, remember he killed Big Mike in Ferguson. Remember that? Stand up, don't shoot. Hands up, don't shoot. Total crock of crap. Now you get t-shirts all over with that on there. White men should fan out across the airwaves to talk about how damn sexy they are. And white men are just attracting all these people. She says, finally, until then, I'm begging you, white men, please, for the love of God, stop turning liberal women into your sexual fantasies. Now, there's another article right below this. The title of this article, written by a very black man. He is not mocha. This sucker is black. He says, who, who Asian Americans should really fear? When I saw this written by a black dude, his big old shiny head, he's got a shaved head. It's just shiny, black and shiny black. Black is beautiful. His name's Carl Jackson. He says, so-called white nationalists are not attacking Asian Americans. If they're really honest... The only ethnic group Asian Americans should fear being physically assaulted by are black people. All right. You, you, you hear any of the college professors talking about this? No, but the statistics, he's just, he's just piggybacking <coughs> on the same facts that, that Ann Coulter. He says, sadly, there's nothing new about attacks on Asians in America. What is new is the media's obsession with the issue. Speaking from my own experience, attacks on Asians are all too common, particularly in the hood. 
As a black kid and wannabe thug growing up in Los Angeles, I knew some great Asian people. They didn't stop me or my that didn't stop me or my friends from buying into the stereotypes that they were arrogant and purposefully buying up storefronts and property in our neighborhoods to push us out. My friends consisted of everything from black gangsters, cholos, that's Mexican gangsters, taggers, nerds, and athletes. Of course, uh, our negative attitude towards Asians were reinforced by the great, (coughs) sorry, by the great American philosophers. You know what? Hold on a second. I got to look this up. I didn't have this listed. You know, for a, the the great American, you know who the great American philosophers were for the black kids? In the, it's a group called the NWA. It's an abbreviation for niggas with attitudes. Niggas with attitudes. NWA. So so this black. Uh, journalist he's saying that we got our marching orders or our attitudes from the nwa and that's called the nigga niggas wit w-i-2 n-i-g-g-a-s wit w-i-t attitudes but he says as i grew older and wiser i realized that asians simply wanted a piece of the american dream like the rest of us the same american dream by the way that black liberals mostly with college degrees continue to claim eludes the black community he says the uh, the atlanta massage parlor murders murderer gave the media the perfect storyline they lusted for in their continued efforts to destroy Trump post-presidency. An assassin that happened to be white who murdered eight victims in cold blood, six of whom happened to be Asian. Despite the murderer's confession that he killed his victims, not because of their ethnic group, but because he frequented two of their parlors that allegedly contributed to his sex addiction, the media continues to push the narrative that this was a hate crime of white nationalists. Now he says, he says, he gives an example. Take, take for example, 26 year old parolee, Tiante Bailey of Oakland, California, for example, who is currently being held in jail without bond as a perfect anecdote for black on Asian crimes that occur all too frequently in America. Bailey was arrested for allegedly attacking a 75-year-old Asian man who was minding his own business out for a walk during a routine morning when Bailey jumped out of a car and violently pushed the guy to the ground before stealing his wallet and phone. Later, the Asian man was pronounced brain dead due to the injuries he sustained. Lest you believe Bailey's story is unique, according to the Department of Justice, black on Asian crime in u.s occurs at a rate of 280 to 1 will you get a clue out there 280 to 1 and you're turning around and <clears throat> and you're worried about a white guy gonna hurt some asians liars complete liars deceivers frauds does white on asian crime occur absolutely is it even in the same ballpark as black on asian crime Not even close, said Jackson. You'll never hear it in the mainstream media. We're going to take a break. We're uh, we're, uh, two-thirds of our way through, 
And uh, so um, make, your, make yourself a tuna sandwich and listen to my clips. When we took an oath to do no harm, that should imply do no financial harm. We make it cheaper than a cell phone. If you can afford a cell phone, you can afford the most basic aspect of, of healthcare delivery in the United States. The patients of doctors William Crouch and Lee Gross know exactly what services will cost before they receive them, a radical concept only in healthcare. They don't have to deal with benefits packages, coverage denials, hidden costs, in-network versus out-of-network, or any surprises whatsoever. Instead, their patients buy the medical equivalent of a Netflix subscription. We charge $75 a month for an adult, $30 a month for one child, and $15 a month for each additional child. After that, we charge nothing for the services that are provided in our office. Doctors Crouch and Gross of Northport, Florida are pioneers in a growing national movement called Direct Primary Care. Physicians around the country who are tired of dealing with insurance companies when it comes to routine medical services have exited the traditional system and are saying that they can provide better care at a lower price by charging their patients a nominal monthly fee directly. COVID-19 has pushed many doctor's offices, which have been hard hit by the pandemic, to start doing telemedicine for the first time. And insurance companies and the government have started paying them for this service, for now but direct primary care practices have proven far more agile and responsive to the needs of patients. They're demonstrating that making American healthcare flexible and affordable requires abandoning the use of third-party insurance for routine care and adopting a free market approach. Direct primary care is about as close to a free market in healthcare as you've ever seen in our country. You know, people say that, we, well, we tried, we tried free market, it didn't work. That's why we need the government to take over. That's why we need a single payer healthcare system. We have never tried a true marketplace in, in healthcare. When I was in a fee for service system, I felt like I was playing a game of whack-a-mole with Medicare. We had to find ways of doing as much stuff to as many people as possible to generate as much revenue just to pay for the computer systems that I needed to bill Medicare so that I could get paid. And you kept seeing that people were being denied care and a lot of it was cost prohibitive. They were able to afford their insurance premiums, but then they couldn't afford the needed test. And every time I found a way to prop up and be able to generate revenue to support this monstrosity that we were required to build, Medicare would knock the knees out from under us and take away that revenue source, to where eventually we just said, you know what, no more. Direct primary care practices are demonstrating that routine health services covered by Medicare and insurance companies cost so little that most patients could easily afford them out of pocket. So how did this third-party payer system develop? The government created it through the tax system. During World War II, the IRS started allowing employers to provide health insurance as a form of pre-tax compensation. But if employees purchased their own health care, they had to use after-tax dollars. This led to a system in which insurance companies and large healthcare providers negotiate prices behind closed doors, leaving patients out of the mix. What we have done is we've essentially disrupted that entire paradigm because we've said, let's have price transparency. Let's show people what these services actually cost because they do have a dollar value. You can put a price tag on this thing. We've proven that. Today, there are approximately 1,400 independent direct primary care practices with a presence in 49 states. Virtually all of them charge a subscription fee that's between $50 and $100 monthly to consult with the doctor at any time, in person or from home. 
Crouch and Gross provide routine services like preventative checkups, EKGs, minor procedures like biopsies, joint injections, removal of cysts and small cancers, and some urgent care such as sewing up lacerations and splinting uncomplicated fractures at no extra charge. In-office tests like those for strep and pregnancy are included as well. If a test needs to leave the office, patients pay cash prices that Gross and Crouch have negotiated on their behalf. If you ask the lab, what they'll tell you is the most expensive thing that they do is not the lab, it's the cost of the human labor associated with processing those claims and getting paid. So if we eliminate their number one line item expense in their, in their service delivery, then we can bring those prices way down. And that's exactly what we saw. We would see 95% discounts on the laboratory services. According to a survey conducted in July, 78% of physicians had seen a decline in patient volume because of COVID-19. In March, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued a temporary waiver stating that Medicare would pay the same rate for certain kinds of video telemedicine visits as in-person ones, but the types of visits it would cover changed over the course of the year and are still changing. Whether or not insurance companies and the government continue covering online visits after the pandemic has no bearing on Crouch and Gross's practice, and they didn't have to wait for insurance companies and the government to okay telemedicine in the first place. And we immediately flipped a switch, and instantly from uh, in-person practice, we were an online practice. We were a parking lot practice. We did whatever we had to do in order to get the patient the proper care at the proper time. Telemedicine has added complexity to the billing process. That has no impact on Crouch and Gross. So we didn't need to wait for Blue Cross to convene a committee to pay for telemedicine services. I didn't need to wait two months or three months for Medicare to create a new billing code in order for me to provide technology visits for a patient. I just did it. For what Medicare pays for a single technology visit, I provide two to three months of unlimited technology visits, unlimited office visits, unlimited home visits, unlimited email visits. And so, you know, the model is, again, pandemic tested. It's proven that it's actually a superior model uh, because we have the built-in flexibility to do what we need at the time we need it. 32 states and D.C. have passed laws requiring insurance companies to reimburse doctors at the same rate for telemedicine visits as they do for comparable in-person visits. Crouch and Gross say that shouldn't be decided by lobbyists, lawmakers, or government administrators. Prices should be set through market competition. The very first time I went to Washington and made a presentation on direct primary care, I gave it to a group of physicians. And after I gave my presentation on our practice and what we were doing, the doctor raised his hand and said, what happens if some doctor sets up right next door to you and charges $40 a month? And I said, it's an excellent question. I said, because if the first question out of the audience is what are we gonna do when we bring down the price of healthcare, we're onto something because that question has never been asked in the American healthcare system ever. And I said, but here's what's gonna happen. I said, that doctor and I are going to have to compete on price and quality. And I'm gonna to have to justify why my price is twice as much. Um, maybe I provide better service, maybe I'm just better trained, have better credentials, have more experience, but something tangible is gonna to have to justify that or I'm gonna to have to lower my prices and to compete or I'm gonna lose patience to the person down the street. The myth is that profit by its mere definition is it does not belong in the American healthcare system and, and it's evil and it creates perverse incentives. The key to making that profit work is, again, that elimination of that third party in the middle of that profit, which just starts up cost, but adds no value.
right. I wanted to talk about uh, there's a uh, uh, holiday coming up, and uh, it is on March 31, and it, it is a holiday. You know how they've added these holidays. When I was a kid, they didn't have all these holidays. You had like Lincoln, the president's holiday, Lincoln and Washington, and you had a few holidays, right? Easter, Christmas. Now we got all these holidays. So we've had a couple in California that were generated out of our state. One was uh, Harvey Milk Day, which is the 22nd. It it isn't anything about cow milk. It's about a pedophile who liked to screw kids, little kids, and now we honor him every year on May 22nd. But we have one coming up on March 31, and that is a Cesar or Caesar as we used to call Caesar, right? Cesar, Cesar, Chavez. And uh, when I was growing up, it, it was a wonderful time in the Sacramento Valley because when I was going to high school, uh, every there was jobs for everybody. You could just get jobs everywhere. <coughs> the job I got was working for a group of farmers out in Hallwood, California. And uh, and so they were, they were harvesting fruit there, um, uh, tree fruit. And they had lots and lots of Mexican farm workers. And I didn't know about the politics or farm working. Or At that time, there was a Bracero program where you could get a permit to come in and work and then leave. There were all kinds of programs. And then there was, you know, actually there was ICE or that was called something different back then. But they people were up here illegally, right? Same as today. And And so I didn't really understand all that. I was just there working with people. And I was just thrown into this, and I was driving forklift and driving all tractors and all kinds of stuff. Loved every minute of it. Just totally was stoked and making a little money. And I met all these wonderful Mexican people. Well, I was taking – I had to take a, a foreign language in the high school. So I had – I don't know why I picked French, just like some stupid – another one of my stupid – and I took it for a year, and I just I – just, it just couldn't, I couldn't get with it. But when I started working with these Mexican folks, I wanted to talk to them and I could not talk to them because they spoke primarily Spanish and I didn't speak any Spanish. And uh, so I started taking Spanish at the high school and, uh, and I just really loved these people. And I worked with them for like six summers and some of the same families over and over and over watched their kids grow up. And, uh, and once in a while we'd, have food together but most of the time it was just like we worked together and i did my very best on my part of the job in the the food process food processing or fruit harvesting to help them make us they were all working on piecework so i did my very best to help them uh make more money and uh because i fell in love with them and and uh, so ended up going to mexico and working down there and helping orphans and all that kind of stuff and uh, so this leads into this Cesar Chavez, because back then there was a guy named Cesar Chavez who began organizing unions around farm workers. And uh, and so I want to read you uh, something that was written uh, about Cesar Chavez by a guy named Steve Baldwin, who I got to meet when he was an assemblyman. And he was really involved in pro-life. He's from down in the, the Southern California area. Very fine guy. He came up here and spoke one time. And uh, we arranged for him to come speak. And uh, anyway, he was in the assembly of the state of California, and it came up. We want to do. We we want to uh, uh, make a holiday for Cesar Chavez. Well, he looked into it and he thought, "This is ridiculous. I mean, we have a huge Hispanic uh, heritage here. Why don't we do a holiday just uh, rejoicing or celebrating our Hispanic heritage in California? It's huge." 
But instead, they wanted to pick this one guy. So he says, <clears throat> he said, the guy, the, the guy was like a Harvey Milk. So let me tell you about it. So, and he argued, hey, why don't we, there's a lot we could do. There's a lot of Hispanic people here we could honor. And so he says, well, Chavez, I'm going to get in the meat of this because I don't have time to do the whole thing. I only got this segment and one more segment. Well, Chavez did accomplish some things of significance. He organized what we call the United Farm Workers. Remember that? United Farm Workers Union, UFWU. He, he did some things of significance, Baldwin says. Much of what he did is of great contention. A good deal of his image and legacy has been shaped by Hollywood. Hollywood shaped the Harvey Milk uh, campaign, and they also did the Cesar Chavez. <coughs> so... And, a fa- and he said, and he got a fawning, fawning media following. When his legacy is examined in great detail, a dark side emerges. Many growers and farm workers alike throughout California strongly dispute the extent of Chavez's alleged accomplishments, even challenging UFW's contention that Chavez improved the condition of the farm workers. There certainly is not a consensus that he is a great man worthy of a state holiday. Perhaps a better idea would have been a holiday in honor of the California Hispanic heritage. So he says, Baldwin says, it's hard to reconcile the mythology that Chavez was a spokesman for California's farm workers when, in fact, it is difficult to find farm workers who have anything good to say about him or the UFW. Indeed, the only lobbying on the holiday bill I'm aware of by actual farm workers was a petition signed by 400 Latino farm workers farm laborers who were urging a no vote. He didn't get any petition for him. He got 400 against him. I also, he said, talked to people who, who led non UFW farm worker associations who hotly dispute the notion that Chavez or the UFW ever represented their views and challenged. Now, if you remember Jerry Brown back in these days in the seventies, the governor, Jerry Brown, he was like, they were like brothers from, from two different mothers. He was like, he just loved old Cesar. According to the California Ag Labor Relations Board documents, the UFW has never represented the majority of farm workers in California. Never, never, not once, not up till today. Even at its peak in the 70s, most observers believe the UFW has represented about 5% of the states. You would have thought they had them all in their corner. A study by UFW's membership by Rob Roy. A Ventura County Agricultural Association concluded UFW's present membership is less than one half of one percent, one half of one percent of California's 900,000 farm workers. These documents show an unprecedented 48 decertifications of UFW since that means they 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 un, unwound their agreement with the union by 1978 by farm workers voting to disassociate from Chavez. This is why Chavez's much publicized marches and protests over the last two decades were always do- dominated by professional activists, liberals, communists, socialists from cities from the cities, not farm workers. Why? So Baldwin asked the question that you might be asking, why the mass exodus from UFW? He says, simple, UFW has a long history of intimidation of farm workers, violence toward undocumented workers, wetbacks, right? And a boycott strategy based upon pesticide hoax that costs hundreds, that costs thousands of farm workers their own jobs. As Gloria Campos of the Strawberry Workers and Farmers Alliance stated, 
They rely on college students and other unions to demonstrate and carry their message for them. We, the workers from the strawberry fields, tell our own story and reject their attack. The UFW is devious and deceitful. The UFW lies and encourages others to lie. This is the people we were honoring this guy with a holiday in a few days. And Hollywood made a big movie about him. Crazy. The petition sent to me by 400 farm workers made the same point. <clears throat> we are farm workers. We are Mexican heritage. We are now Americans and Californians. We are taxpayers. Cesar Chavez may have accomplished some good things for some people, but he is no hero to us. <clears throat> people seem to forget that Latino farm workers organized anti-Chavez rallies in the 60s that numbered in the thousands. They were protesting U.S. UFW's strategy of boycotting grapes. You remember the grape boycotts? I remember them so well when I was in college. They were based on the claim that the pesticides used were dangerous to the farm workers' health and caused cancer in their children. This was the issue which first brought Chavez to national prominence. However, while it was a clever media ploy, it was a hoax that cost many farm workers their jobs. Interestingly, as soon as the targeted group Grape growers signed a UFW contract. The health concerns mysteriously vanished. Note, they didn't change the way they farmed. Nothing changed. They just, the whole concern vanished as soon as they signed the contract. UFW knew it was a lie all along. Indeed, the California Environmental Protection Agency conducted extensive tests, found most table grapes from the fields have no chemical residues. Studies Anyway, I won't, I won't go into all the toxicology. It was all nonsense. It was all crap. But the boycotts caused the fancy, caught the fancy of sympathetic Hollywood and soon union activists nationwide were initiating pressure campaigns, targeting it at stores, stop carrying, selling those grapes. The real target, of course, were growers who refused to sign contracts with the UFW. <coughs> Many growers lost business, laid off workers. Some eventually caved in under pressure. <clears throat> okay so okay this is this is chewy but ufw's tactics often went beyond pressure tactics a, a search of major newspaper archives from the 60s and 70s make it clear that the ufw was a teamsters type union which did not hesitate to use thuggery and achieve its ends even the declassified FBA files on Chavez, a few thousand pages, reveal numerous incidents of violence directed towards growers and farm workers that didn't want a UFW contract. The FBI files and press accounts describe beatings, overturned cars, throwing Molotov cocktails, torching fields, and other such tactics. More disturbing, you hear me? More disturbing was how the UFW treated women and undocumented Mexican workers. You, you hear what I'm saying? Who threatened potential F? See, the union now is threatened by new people coming into country. So, so here's what happened. In 1997, 40 female UFW members filed a lawsuit against the union due to its apparent practice of urging female members to use sex as a recruiting tool. However, by far the darkest of the UFW is its treatment of undocumented Illegal aliens, I'm, it doesn't say it here, illegal In the mid-80s, Chavez's brother, Manuel Chavez, headed up an effort to attack illegal workers crossing the border in Arizona. As reported on the Village Voice, UFW thugs manned the border area. UFW called it the wet line 
And as former Yuma County Sheriff Travis Yancey stated, they'd catch any wet coming through the coming through and beat the hell out of them. Former UFW staff member Gus Gutierrez said that Manuel, that's Manuel Chavez, goons just went ape shit. That's what he writes here. Just went ape shit. They went wild. According to the Village Voice, the UFW conducted a campaign of random terror against anyone hapless enough to fall into its net. Gutierrez later talked to officials on the Mexican side and had tales to turn the stomach, rapes, castration, broomsticks with nails shoved up people anuses. Some workers ended up missing, never to be found. When alarmed UFW organizer Lupe Sanchez led a delegation to meet with Chavez to inform him of this violence, Chavez told him, Manuel has my blessing. That's your holiday, folks. Despite the liberal mythology that Chavez and UFW helped undocumented workers get their start, they not only beat them, but even held rallies outside INS facilities, that would be called ICE today, around the country demanding crackdowns on illegal aliens and that liberals love Chavez. Go figure. Should it come as any surprise to anyone who knows Chavez well? Chavez guru is not Gandhi. He's Saul Alinsky, whose book, Rules for Radicals, make it clear that violence is a tactic that can be used to achieve your purposes. Chavez worked for Alinsky same way as Hillary Clinton did from 52 to 62 in the 70s. Chavez became a follower of a group called Synanon, S-Y-N-A-N-O-N, long believed by observers to be a cult that had an occasion, on occasion used violence and intimidation to silence its enemies. Uh, Synanon's leader, Charles Diederich, was convicted of conspiracy to murder an attorney by having a rattlesnake stuffed in the guy's mailbox. Chavez publicly supported Diederich, when Chavez started to introduce some of Senanon's mind control techniques to the high command of UFW, scores of its highest, brightest members resigned in protest. These are these and other reasons. These are the other reasons why Chavez should not be honored with a holiday. It is forgotten that Chavez masterminded the bilking of hundreds of thousands of dollars in both federal and state dollars. Now, this is back in the 70s, people. That the the minimum wage was like two dollars. He ripped off hundreds of thousands of federal and state dollars. He would apply for grants using warm and fuzzy language about helping workers, but use the funds instead for other purposes. It became so blatant that UFW was audited by the General Accounting Office of the United States of America in 1980 and found to be in massive violation of federal guidelines. <clears throat> okay. Uh, while many, this is so so sad, so ridiculous, and the reason you need to get your kids out of public education. L- let me, we got a whole curriculum in our schools right now. Many of the California's lati- leading Latino politicians got their start in politics and assistance from the UFW. While that may be really sweet, that is not a reason to honor Chavez with a state holiday. One should also be worried about the second half of the bill, which requires that the curricula of every school in California, including instruction on Cesar Chavez and the history of the farm later movement in the United States, such a curriculum 
has already been play, produced by the UFW and for use in our schools and is replete or it's loaded with fabrication. It's interesting how the liberals say, oh, all the founding fathers documents are loaded with fabrications. Look at this fabrication. Do you hear anything about him running a, a pole up somebody's butt? Do you hear anything about people being beaten to death? People being women being raped? In our school system, oh, Cesar Chavez, he's a wonderful guy. Distortions and outright lies about pesticides, farm industry, fill our school curriculum. You need to get your kids out of school. You need to get your kids out of school. Unbelievable. Lies, and we're honoring this guy. And now under Obama, they expanded it. I think 10 states now honor Cesar Chavez. After the wonderful example of ours, he's a rapist, a murderer. Unbelievable. Just total unbelievable. I want to give a shout out to Monty Hecker before we wrap this uh, segment up because Monty, without Monty, I'm not saying the recall wouldn't have happened, but Monty Hecker uh, single-handedly uh, pushed this recall big time up in Yuba Sutter counties. Thank you, Monty, for that. And uh, Monty's operating his uh, supports us here. Thank you so much, Monty, and and supports other good causes, supporting the militia movement, the Second Amendment movement, reducing taxes on gas movement, uh, the recall movement of, of the governor. Uh, tried to get Ga not Gavin Newsom, but uh, Garamendi uh, over over uh, voted out by Tamika Hamilton. So I just want to give a shout out to him. If you want a good job, want to go to work, you want to do it, get a part-time job, maybe you're retired and you just want to, you're bored to death, you want to make a little money and go, get out each day, he would love to have you work for him. I just talked to him today and or yesterday, maybe it was this morning. And uh, they're busy and they, they're always looking, you know, there's, there's work everywhere for honest people that want to work hard. And if you, you're interested, call them. It's 530-749-0280. That's 530-749-0280. And uh, you can, uh, you, can uh, you know, you don't have to live in Yuba County, Sutter County. They're working in numerous counties up in the Northern California area, all the way from Sacramento already up, uh, from Sacramento all, all the way to the Oregon border. And he said, actually, they spill over into Oregon a little bit sometimes. Uh, also, if you need to get a CCW uh, permit or you need to <coughs> renew your license and do something, I don't know what you do because I don't bother with that stuff, uh, you, he'll help you do that. They also offer courses on how to how to get into being a, a guard. A lot of the guys and gals that he's trained, you can you can start working for him at 18 and start going to school. You can't do that as a police officer, so he can start getting you some of those courses, and then you could— you can kind of side slide into police academy uh, and get into law enforcement, and there's plenty of jobs. I was just seeing Wendell Anderson, the sheriff of Yuba County, saying we, we want to hire dispatchers. I think community service officers, deputies, correctional officers. They got there's jobs all over the place right now, and uh, good jobs. Good, it's a good career. Wonderful people. So, uh, and I, I think Brandon Barnes across the river in Sutter County is probably also hiring for his uh, same same type of situation. People in jail, people on patrol, community service officers, dispatchers, clerical people, they you know secretaries, uh, public information officers, they got it all out there. Okay, 
Uh, we got one more segment, and I need I need I need to remind myself we have a petition to uh, we're signing to fire our health officer, Doctor Lou, for her despicable uh, conduct during the COVID year. We'll be right back. Patriots, this is my one-minute response to all the threats of gun control. I want you to stop worrying about gun control being passed and start expecting it. Why would this situation surprise us? This has been their goal and agenda for quite some time, and now they have most of the power they need to do it. The solution is very simple. We need the Second Amendment community to not comply. But we can't do it alone. We need you, your friends, and your family to stand with us. Why would you take a risk like that? Because when governments want to disarm their citizens, that means that they have future plans that are so wrong and so heinous that you would want to shoot them over it. Let that sink in. The Second Amendment community being intimidated by politicians passing gun control is like a lion being intimidated by a mouse. There are over 100 million of us. We have the power and that's why they are always trying to divide us. And if we would only realize this power, come together and hold the line, no threat against our right to bear arms would ever be taken seriously. The solution is simple and possible. We just have to do it. I'm Good Patriot. Please make the commitment to join your American brothers and sisters in this fight. Pastor James Coates was arrested and sent to prison a couple of weeks ago in Canada. What did he do? He held a church service. Coates was denied bail. Apparently, he is set to be released soon. He is still facing at least one charge. His wife, Erin, said he had a very tough time in jail. He was placed in a two-week quarantine, only allowed to leave the cell twice for 15 minutes each time. It's a shocking story. We spoke to Erin Coates earlier about her husband's case. Here's what she told us. Ms. Coates, thanks very much for coming on. It's hard to believe, it's shocking, really, that your husband is in jail. First, how's he doing? Well, he's in prison. Um, he, he's facing all the regular things you would face there, uh, trouble with food and, um, you know, I don't even really know what to say. How is he doing? Um, he is a—he's yeah. a, a shepherd. He's a, he's a Bible teacher. He's a theologian. He's not able to shepherd the people that he loves. He's not able to uh, challenge his mind. He's not able to serve in the way that he loves to serve people. So this is, this is hard on him. A grown man sitting in prison for preaching a sermon. Um, this is such obvious tyranny that I've got to ask, have any authorities in Canada come to your help? I mean, this is the ruling of one judge, but you have a lot of politicians in Alberta. Are any of them coming to the rescue? Sure. I think that there's actually um, MPs and some MLAs behind the scenes that are, are trying to help us. But other than that, I think their hands are tied. You, are, are you Canadian? I am Canadian, yes. So you grew up in the country. Do you recognize it now? No, I don't. This is definitely not the nation that I grew up in. What do you think, what do you think happened? 
Well, I think there's been a, we're like a boiling frog for a while. I think our freedoms have just been slowly stripped from us and, and, and so slowly over time that we didn't even realize it. And so when something like a health order is put in place that takes away your freedoms, it's not shocking to people. And it really should be shocking to people that there is a pastor in jail right now who's given his life to sacrifice and love other people uh, to worship God, that that's not shocking to a lot of people. And it really should be. We are on a dangerous uh, road right now. And I think because we've just been in the pot for so long, boiling, that people aren't really realizing the danger that we're facing as a nation. Throughout the United States, we've seen Christian ministers harassed because they are Christian ministers and therefore disobedient. They serve a higher power. You haven't seen this happen to people who run abortion clinics or strip bars or marijuana dispensaries. Do you believe, and that's in this country, do you believe your husband was singled out because he's a Christian pastor? Well, I have to believe that the enemy is singling him out. We have a real enemy who really hates the Lord Jesus Christ and really hates the blood body that he purchased on the cross and has given new life to. Um, yes, we have an absolute real enemy, and he uses people to target the ministers of God. We know that through scripture. We know that through church history. And so I really believe that they are being targeted in our country. I think a lot of people watching this who would have maybe dismissed what you just said a year ago are now maybe taking it a little bit more seriously. I appreciate your coming on. Your husband is blessed to have a wife like you. Thank you. Thank you, Tucker. So I have a question for all you Biden Democrat liberal supporters. When you call us out, minority conservatives out, on acting white, what does that mean? What does that mean to you people? Does it mean that we are financially stable? We have good marriages, we got out of the hood, we have a relationship with God, we're educated, not speaking in slang, therefore we are white. Is that what you people mean when you call us out as white? I mean, if that's what it is, and call me gringa, ¿por qué? Isn't that what we all are striving for? A better life? Um, stability, education. So I don't understand how that to you people is offensive or you're trying to be hurtful in any way because I think that's what we're all trying to do. I'm confused. Help me out. What is it, Doc? How bad is it? So after looking at your social media accounts, I'm afraid that you've been diagnosed with bigotry. I, I, I don't understand. There's, I made one joke. I don't think I'm racist. I'm going to start by prescribing you being removed from all platforms and then we're just going to take it day by day. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but the only way to cure the wrong opinions is to have them excommunicated to the fringes of society. What the hell? I can't even log into Twitter. Where the anger from having their life ruined mixed with society's overreaction to a minimal offense will, by my research, cause them to be a more accepting person. You're gonna need full ostracization to beat this. Does seem like he's still a bigot, so hopefully getting him fired is gonna take this to the next level. Arby's? Yeah, just letting you know that you have a white supremacist working for you. No, this is his doctor. He's gonna be fired from my job now? So I have your girlfriend on the phone and there's something she'd like to say to you. Hey, honey. I'm just calling.
wanting to tell you that I'm formally denouncing you and breaking up with you. What? Breaking? Why? You know, isolation is the only path forward. <sighs> it was just one joke. You know, it's sort of the same principle as how when you put people in jail for small non-violent crimes, they usually come out cured and also less racist. So right now we're trying to contact his landlord, have him evicted here. Evi where am I supposed to live? Do you want to cure your problematic thinking or not? Yes. Yes. Okay, this always works. Or so I've been told. I mean, I kind of just usually move on to the next patient. Pissed off, if anything. Nobody's answering my questions. Oh, yes, his questions. March 3rd, in a private chat, he said, is it possible there's less women engineers because women don't want to be engineers? Sorry, can someone tell me why that's such a crazy question to ask? Assistant, also, how did you get access to that? You know, can we get the payment processors on the phone? Has your urge to question everything subsided a little bit? <sighs> Not really. I mean, I just was wondering, like, with women's sports, like, obviously trans people have a pretty big advantage. Stop it. Stop. Stop. Wait, I just, I don't... I said stop! But their hands are so... Shut up! You know, it's important to nip questioning things or noticing inconsistencies in the butt. Creating an environment where the only place they can get answers to those questions is the corners of the internet. Have you ever heard of the site A-Chan? This is cool so stuff. So it looks like the plan's working. You know, they're still not answering me, but I met some nice people in the MGTOW subreddit. Some really interesting stuff happened in 1941. Great news. We've been able to get you on the ADL's hate list quicker than expected. I'm just uh, applying my final treatment here, which is doxing him publicly. So I want you to open your mouth and just admit that you're racist. Fine, I'm racist. Is that what you want to hear? My work here is done. Now the fighting will be close at hand. Don't believe the church and state and everything they tell you. Can you give me, can you give me running? Can you give me running? Can you give me running? Oh yeah, can you give me, can you give me running? Can you hear me running? Can you hear me calling you? There's a gun and ammunition just inside the doorway. Use it only in emergency. It's better you should pray to God, the Father and the Spirit to guide you and protect you from all fear. All right, this is our last segment, and um, I wanted to mention Dave Greenitz. Dave has been a consistent help to keep me going here financially uh, to cover some of the costs, uh, which aren't great. They're not great. I mean, I'm not making, I'm not wanting to make money at this. This is not my point. So I'm just cover the costs. I mean, I could probably cover most of myself, be fine, but they said, hey, we want you to do this. So they want to help. Monty helps, uh, Greenitz helps, Plumbing Doctor helps. So uh, I was talking to Dave Greenitz on the phone the other day, and uh, he was saying how people calling him for his construction company, Greenitz Construction, for remodeling. They want to remodel their kitchen, bath, entryway, or something. They want to remodel something. Uh, they uh, 
he said it, he apologizes to them because it's to even look at their project right now. There's so much work that is coming his way. I'm not I'm not taking total credit of it. Maybe 95 percent, and he gets the rest. Uh, but no, he's 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 got such a great reputation that he says he's telling people that he's that it's going to be eight to nine weeks out before he could just like consult with them, get going. But you know, you know how it's amazing to me how fast eight to nine weeks go by where just to get consulted, you know, many people think about getting their home remodeled for years and years and years and years and then find, let's do it. Like we got some money. We got a little windfall. We got a little inheritance. Uh, we sold something. We had a good year. Let's remodel the bathroom. And, uh, so, uh, if, if you want the best to do it, you know, if you want, if you want the thing to be in, you know, impeccable, like, oh, it's a perfect color. Oh, the tile's awesome, you know, or the lighting or the, you know, whatever. Uh, Greenitz is the guy to do it. We were laughing and wondering whether we should even advertise anymore. Don't even bring his name up anymore, right? Because I know he's he advertised in uh, maybe both newspapers. But uh, anyway, if you want to check out what he's got going, you can look at greenitzconstruction.com. Green, the, the color green, E-T-Z on the end, construction.com. And you can look at the before and after stuff. And I mean, I could throw out the superlatives, but forget about it. Just see it yourself. Or you could go to his Facebook site at at, at uh, Dave Greenitz Construction Facebook. <clears throat> and you can look at the uh, the before and afters and some of the designs and ideas. And uh, so uh, and then you could text him or you could uh, just put the word out and then, uh, you know, make contact with him and say, hey, we'll wait. We'll wait for you. We we got eight weeks. We're gonna be living nine weeks from now, so let's wait. We want we want the best. We heard Lou said you're the best. We want the best. Or if you if you're really bold and you want to dial him up, uh, or you could just email him and just say we or or you text him or whatever and just say Lou says this, and uh, put us down to call us in eight weeks. We want you to do our job. Here's our address. Boom, and leave it at that. Then wait for eight eight or nine weeks and then have the meeting with him. So you can call him or you can text him at five three zero. Six eight two nine six zero two five three zero six eight two nine six zero two, and then the, my final friend that's really been a help to me for forty years is in the, an example to me is Ted Holmes and Ted and Dave and I uh, all know each other. We're old friends, many many years working together on projects, fond 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 men, memories. So a plumbing doctor and and Ted Holmes also has I I mentioned this and the guy called me the other day said hey i need a job i heard you announcing there's some jobs so uh, ted has a plumbing doctor if you're a plumber he could use you if you want a, a job or if you need need a job done at your house because you got problems water's running the wrong way five three zero six seven one nine one 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 it's five three zero six seven one nine one 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 or if you're a general labor type guy and you want to, or gal, and you want to work uh, with uh, stripping businesses of their floors, you take out the old floor and get it, get it all polished and ready for the new floor. They got a business called Lift Off Floor Removal, so you could call that same number and just say, "Hey, I'm, I don't have a plumbing problem, but I I need a job. I need a job. Give me a, give me an interview, okay?" And uh, so that's that. Let's see what I wanted to talk about. Oh, I wanted to talk about um, we. There's a group in the area here that have been so alarmed, disgusted, shocked. Uh, 
and angered by our health officer that was hired a couple of years ago by Robert Bendorf, who uh, really finished his career on a real downturn by hiring her and then illegally passing, putting up Measure K, which we're coming up on the second anniversary of Measure K. It's an invalidated illegal tax that the, that been ruled that way by Superior Court Judge Stephen Barrier. Now it's being appealed by the county. Literally by April 1, which is just in a few days, they have been taking out $14,000 a day out of our pockets illegally. The Yuba County Supervisors have been for two years. And if the appeals, once the appeals court hears this, if they rule in favor of the people, that's a good thing. The tax will be stopped. But you know who keeps the money? Yuba County Supervisors. That's what I explained in an article I wrote. You can read, read it on Live with Lou, Facebook site. It's like somebody invading your home and robbing you. They catch them. They get the loot. But then they give the loot to the robbers. <clears throat> so, so anyway, um, Robert Bendorf was the mastermind behind that, where it was a win-win situation for the county. Even if the, if the tax was invalidated, the county will walk away probably with about $15 million. Uh, of our money that could have been used, right? Particularly you guys that got laid off during COVID. So, uh, so that's that. But he also hired and was all fired up about this this lady named Dr. Fong Liu, and um, he then he convinced Sutter County, who also needed a health officer, to share the health officer. Then COVID happened, and what's happened? Um, I've written a number of articles. You can read them on my uh, my website at nohostagesradio.com. Or you could read the latest one on why we should fire Fong Lu on on it on the website or on the Facebook site Live with Lou. And uh, so there is a petition that uh, that has been designed and it's just starting to be circulated this week. And I'm just looking it up right now. And it's a petition. You don't have to be a registered voter to sign it because the COVID health mandates affected everybody even teenagers, right, that couldn't go to their high school. And so anybody can sign it that that wants to, uh, that wants Dr. Liu uh, uh, fired. And so you don't have to be a registered voter. You don't have to be any particular age. You just have to be a resident of the county that we're getting signatures on. And I'm, I'm looking here to try to find. So I'll just have to explain it to you. So, um, let me try to pull this up really quick. So you can get, uh, if you want to get uh, a petition, you can go out to Monty Hecker's on Feather Boulevard. And I've given that address. I should have it by memory. He, Monty Hecker at Elite Universal Security will have petitions. You can take them and sign them and then hand them in at 5548 Feather Boulevard. Again, anybody any person, if they're breathing, they can sign. Uh, just make sure to have Yuba County people on one petition, Sutter on, on the other. Now, this isn't like a recall where we get a certain amount of signatures and then we put them on a ballot and you recall them. This is simply a way to communicate to the Board of Supervisors in Yuba and the Board of Supervisors in Sutter that we citizens, and we list all the reasons why she has done a horrible job, caused people to die, caused thousands of businesses to be damaged 
caused people to kill themselves, overdose on drugs. She shut down all the AANA meetings and all kinds of recovery meetings. Uh, She stopped people from being able to go into their hospital to see their loved ones before they die. This has been gnarly, folks, and uh, nonsense over the common cold. So if you want to sign that petition to say, we don't want this, this, the health officer is to reduce harm in the community, not stop a a virus and spend all our efforts. And in other words, (coughs) not destroy the community to to stop a virus. If you're interested in uh, getting a, an emailed copy, we could email copies to you and uh, you could just, uh, you could email Courtney. That's C O U R T N E Y Courtney C O U R T N E Y at Church of Glad Tidings.com. Tidings has one D, Church of Glad Tidings.com. If you email her and just say, Courtney, can you send me uh, a copy of the petition? She will just email it over to you. Uh, you can get hard copies of the petition at Monty Hecker's place at Elite Universal Security at 5548 Featherer Boulevard. Now, we're going to circulate these petitions over the next couple months, April and May, and then we're going to present them. We're hoping to get a few thousand of each county, a few thousand Yuba County people, a few thousand Sutter County people, and go before the Board of Supervisors, present them to them, and just say, we're done. We're, we're t- she toasted us in this thing. So uh, you can take those petitions. You can have your neighbors sign them. If you have a little group you get together, a little sports group, card group, uh, athletic group, uh, you can uh, just sign them up, sign them up. And uh, Courtney actually says the goal is to get 5,000 signatures in each county. Don't know whether we're going to get those. Uh, some of the people will put up tables. The recall Newsom people are done now. So they're probably going to put up tables with in front of some significant traffic locations to get people to sign up to recall Dr. Lou. <clears throat> the health officer is supposed to help st- stop rampant expansion of drug addiction. Nothing like that's going on. Uh, they're supposed to track. You know how they're talking about tracking and tracing you, who you've been in contact with. If you test positive, for God's sake, on the PCR test, which is 90% of the time inaccurate, they're wanting to tra- track and trace you. Like we had a guy at glad tidings he came to a there was an event there was a political event there i think candace owen spoke or dinesh d'souza anyway one of their staff members had a cold or went home not feeling well and had a cold and tested positive for covid they called the church wanting to track or trace hundreds of people that were at that meeting you talk about nuts so then i don't know whether you know this or not maybe you just are monogamous and you're just having sex with your partner we got a big syphilis outbreak in our community. You know how bad syphilis is? Syphilis is like a, there's gonorrhea, there's chlamydia. Those are the big ones. You know, you hear about these, right? And they all have different symptoms. Syphilis will kill you. Syphilis will cause you to be mentally ill. Syphilis, if you're pregnant, will kill your baby or cause the baby to be severely deformed. Syphilis is one gnarly deal, and it's very simple to stop. It's the same solution that they've been using since the night, since penicillin came was discovered. Penicillin kicks syphilis's rear, but you got to take it. You got to go get it. And so, if you got so some of my friends that are doctors, they've had syphilis patients, right? 
They contact the health department, which is supposed to do the tracking, and the tracing. So say I got syphilis, they'd call me up and say, say, say I got tested and, and they gave me a medication for syphilis. My doctor, they would call the health department and say, Hey, Lou's, Lou's got syphilis. And so then the health department would say, call me up and say, Hey, we understand you're getting treated for syphilis. Can you give us a list of your partners? We will not tell them who gave us their, your name, the name. <clears throat> all, the, all we're going to say is we understand you may have had relations with this guy, someone else, and they said you they, they now have syphilis. So would you mind if we checked you because we, we don't want you to be sick? That's how they stop these amazingly bad diseases like syphilis. You know what they called, told my doctor? They don't have time to do it. The health department saying they don't have time to track syphilis, but they have time to run around and chase coronavirus. I'm telling you, people, the people that are running these counties has lost their friggin' minds. They have lost their minds. I'm telling you, the stuff that's going on that you don't know about is shocking, is absolutely shocking. And you know how much this woman gets paid? She gets paid almost $300,000 a year. And doesn't even live in our community. And even if she does, she's not worth 300 grand a year. And what? She shows up. She she has caused more people trauma and fear telling them, stay home, wear a mask, wear two masks, st- stand on the X, obey what I tell you and we will save your life. She is so full of baloney. She is so full of baloney. You got better sense going in and talking to the the addicts in Yuba County jail than you would with her. She is totally, she, like I said before, if she, you know, when, when we won the war against Germany and the Italians and Nazis and the Japanese, it didn't stop there. They had what we called Nuremberg trials where we held people accountable for crimes against humanity. It's one thing to have a war and shoot at each other. It's another thing for crimes against humanity. This woman, if she was your doctor and taking care of you, by the way, she's never been a doctor that's seen patients in her life. You could tell by looking at her. The Nuremberg trials said, listen, you have a responsibility to do. It's one thing to be in an army and defend yourself or fight for a particular piece of ground. But to but to commit personal crimes against people, children, and torture people, and shoot people in the head, innocent victims, right, and not care for the prisoners, but actually murder them and gas them, that's crimes against humanity. What's been done in under the auspices of COVID is crimes against humanity. To allow people to die in, in old folks' homes, in care homes, to put sick people among the most vulnerable. That's like releasing a dog among sheep, a pit bull among sheep. To allow, to release people. Do you realize that Fong Lu stopped doctors from treating COVID patients in our community and told them just to leave them alone and see if they get bad? If they get really bad, we'll put them on a vent. You know, you know the percentage of people? that survived off event, <clears throat> probably less than 5%, 5 to 6%, a ventilator. Remember all the ventilators that was being built sent all over? That was total baloney. 
I'm talking about wrong, wrong science. People were not allowed to go to clinics if they had COVID. They had to stay home and get worse, then go to the hospital. That was it. They could have all <clears throat> the communities that treated really sick old people that had emphysema, that had one lung, that had diabetes, that had heart disease. They treated them with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, bedesonide inhalers, and they saved them all. There was some communities, not one person went to the hospital. Not one. They didn't need it because doctors in America are very smart. They, they do the research. They're talking to one another. They find out what's knocking this down. They go get some. And you know that it was prohibited in the state of California to bring hydroxychloroquine in here. And, and, and she followed those rules and enforced those rules. My friends who are doctors, I won't mention their name because they don't want to be, get involved in this. I said, hey, right in the middle of COVID, I said, you seen any of these COVID people? He said, not one. I said, what? I thought we were having all the thousands of COVID people. <clears throat> he said, Lou, in our clinic, they banned COVID. You can't bring a COVID patient in here because the rules that Dr. Lou set up, if a COVID patient comes in here, all of us got to go home and be quarantined. You talk about a system to destroy, you know, deputies. It traumatized the deputies and the firefighters and the police officers. If they walked into a house and somebody was sick with a cold called COVID, they had to all go off duty, run their, t they just had to go home. And then they had to, then the sheriff or the police chief had to go find other people to fill their spot. So insane people, so completely insane. This gal, so we're passing a petition. We're going to do it for 60 days, I think. <clears throat> and then we're going to submit him to the Yuba County Supervisor in, Super, in Sutter County and ask them to say, you know, please, this gal is, is causing us to be sick. If you stayed home all the time, if you're wearing a mask all the time, I was just asked to go back into juvenile hall and speak to the kids. And I got to wear a mask and social distance. I said, I, I am not going to wear a mask for anybody. You want to shoot me, shoot me. You want to put me in jail? I, you're not going to get that damn mask on my face. And it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of control. I don't breathe well in a mask. I need all the oxygen I can get without a mask, right? That's the way God made me lose. In fact, most people that get really sick, they add oxygen to you. They do not put a mask on you. Get a clue. People they put, I've been in the hospital thousands of times. I'm not exaggerating. I've been doing this for over 30 years with trauma intervention. I've been in, whenever people get bad, they put oxygen on their face to get more oxygen in their lungs, not less. <coughs> Wearing a mask is insane. If it's it, anyway, I'll be glad one day when I can't even remember mask or how to spell it. We're going to call it a day. We did all six segments. Yes, we did. So God bless you. I hope you have a good week. And don't forget the militia meeting if you want to become part of the militia this Friday night. Uh, I'm sorry, not this Friday night, but this Sunday, 3-28-21, March 28, 2 o'clock, fast, hour and a half, boom, get involved, and you're out of there. Go get go. Somebody told me they were going to open the movie theaters up somewhere again. Go see a violent movie. That always gets me to thinking, gets me out of my stupor. All right. God bless you. See you later. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight.
We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Sugar to kiss. 